0: this is the opening kickoff on the country's first fm all sports radio station 105.5 fm wnsp and on the sound of mobile app the latest sports news traffic weather and timely guests with mark heim lee Chevanian, and michael brauner the opening kickoff, kickoff, kickoff here are mark lee and michael
1: Here we are, a Monday morning quarterback edition of the opening kickoff from the comfy confines of WNSP Studios. We're with you for the next three hours, where we will recap and comment and question and criticism. That's not even the right form of word. Criticize as uh as we recap the weekend that was you guys can jump in on all of that at 694-1055 and of course get us in the app at wnsp.com good morning mr shravani sir
2: mr heim good morning lots of headlines to get to let's start off with the nfl give you a capsule after yesterday with the seattle giants game tonight on wnsp still to go eagles 49ers remain undefeated bears panthers still winless Tampa takes over first place in the NFC South following the win over the Saints. And, Mark, i got to tell you, I'm not quite the psychotic fan you are, but I felt your pain yesterday. That was a terrible showing by the Saints. Because don't they usually dominate Tampa? They have in the past,
1: right? Uh, They have in the past. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I mean, they couldn't get – the Saints, at least early, couldn't get off the field. And clearly, Derek Carr, they're not going to push the ball down the field. I thought that much was – obvious early um it seemed like towards the end there they were just going to send everybody deep and kind of hit alvin kamara under the in in the middle there underneath it just it for the second straight week i did not finish watching the game
2: (laughs) yeah i don't blame you and you know what i turned it off also and the announcer and i don't know who the commentator was and i don't know if he's right or wrong you know how everybody has something to say was basically claiming that the saints had no energy in their pass routes they weren't getting open they weren't doing the best that they could to give Carr some spacing and i kind of got down on that i'm like yeah i mean they should be at least scoring a touchdown uh the saints defense for the first time in 10 games gave up more than 20 points but i was very disappointed because i really went into that game thinking they were going to beat Tampa. i really did kudos to baker mayfield Uh, Obviously, he's still got some football left in him, so we'll give him that. Yep. All right, I wanted to update uh, what happened Saturday night. You know, and of course, I was watching a lot of football from the Jags to Auburn, Notre Dame, Duke, Alabama, but that last play that uh, Riley Leonard was in, obviously, I was heartbroken over what happened. Obviously, there was a lot of hype given to uh the family uh prior to the game he didn't have you know he had basically a so-so game but they still rallied to take the lead and then i was thinking about this mark notre dame with a fourth and 16 trailing and the the quarterback hartman runs for first down and had they stopped him the injury to Leonard probably would not have happened. But as it turned out, Leonard was hurt late in the last play of that he was in there for. Essentially, it was the last play for Duke because he fumbled the ball away. It has been diagnosed as a high ankle sprain. They hope to get him back later this month. Now, they have an off day coming up this weekend. They're off this weekend. They go to uh, the field. They take the field uh, on the 14th of October against NC State. I don't know if he'll be back that soon. But uh, it, it, I guess, gosh, what a terrible way to, to end the game.
1: Well, first of all, I think he's very fortunate that it's just a high ankle sprain. I thought something was broken the way he fell and the way he got bent like that. And secondly, not only not only does he not get hurt, but Duke wins the football game if they just bring pressure. On that last possession, it was so it was obvious that every time they brought pressure, an extra guy, they impacted the play. Hartman's guys couldn't run their routes. He couldn't find open guys. Anytime they sat back with eight and rushed three, Notre Dame picked them apart that whole last possession. So you finally get them in fourth and 16 because you're bringing pressure every time. Not a lot, just one extra guy, just a fourth guy. And then you sit back with eight in coverage, and he did exactly what they've been doing the whole time, which was converting. Duke lost that game as much as Notre Dame won it. Yeah, and had the, like because I said. Because of the defensive play
2: calling. Had they stopped him, then you don't have Duke into the position. Uh, Position of trying to uh, win the game. You don't have Ryan Leonard in that position of trying to bring the team back and the strip sack and then the uh, high ankle sprain. I thought it was worse than that when he went down because you could tell that he was just seemingly screaming in pain. I, I, it's just the way it looked to me. Uh, and again, it, it wasn't one of his better games, and he'd be the first to admit it, judging by the stats and everything. But I will say this. Had they won, he would have gotten a lot of credit for a comeback because they were down 13 to nothing, and he pulled them back to 14 to 13. But as it turned out... Uh, he had to leave the game Notre Dame wins it they move back into the top 10 Alabama uh, moves into the top 10 in the coaches poll at 10 they're number 11 in the AP Ole Miss, <laughs> this is kind of I guess this is kind of a, a lighter side they've been fined $100,000 for the fans getting on the field Mark I believe the hardest hit in that game was that security cop decking the female which isn't funny because she really took a blow to the face or whatever to the to the chest area and but to see the video of that security guard in the end zone trying to stop this mob
1: of fans coming out was hilarious. <laughs> I just don't understand, at that point, what he's trying to accomplish. He's moving around. like he can't, But he's not. He, he can't but move. He, well, he's big. He's too big to move. Right.
2: And he doesn't know
1: who to hit. Right. They're coming at him from
2: all directions. So he picks on this poor female and just levels her, which probably the hardest hit of the day. He
1: actually kind of is too soon. He kind of looks like an Alabama offensive lineman out there. Too big to move. Doesn't know who to hit.
2: Well, I told you who he reminded me of. You, you obviously know more about in that mall movie, the, the uh, cop, Paul Blart Mall that's Cop. A, that's
1: who he looked. You look like, like <laughs> Kevin James out there trying to hit somebody. <laughs> that's how he looked like. But he literally, it was like he was going to try to hit as many ki- guys or, ki- or kids as he could. But he literally wasn't moving his feet. And if he was moving his feet, it was just like one step to the left or one step to the right. And he was like trying to reach for him. It was almost like his his feet were shackled or he was stuck in concrete. Like it was like, what are you doing? And then, because obviously at that point, there's really no point in trying to stop anybody because everybody's coming. And he is just, he's hell bent on, on hitting somebody. And unfortunately for this one girl, she got a little too close and she kind of got rocked. Yeah, kind of like a, an elbow, right? He l- yeah. lifted up his elbow and just and, decked her. And then, and she certainly didn't deserve it at that point. Now, one kid that did deserve it was the old Miss fan the the um the guy that was around celebrating and was running right next to an lsu player and he was he was talking some smack and so dude just unloaded on him and to your point and you know i'm always a fan i'm always a fan of going out and celebrating and living in the moment you're always talking about injuries this is why you don't do this kind of stuff right and this is why it's so important to get the other team off the field and i wonder i don't have the answer to this can the girls sue Unless, (laughs) uh I, unless <laughs> probably I mean could
2: I, I mean for violence anything. you know for uh unnecessary roughness <laughs> i get penalized for that <laughs> I, mean, like, I and I'm not laughing at the injury I'm laughing at this guy because they had him on college football final and they were just making all kinds of funny things about him all right let's let's move on golf we got beat again uh the u.s did in the Ryder cup uh seven or eight years in a row now we've lost outside u.s soil john Ricchetti will be along at eight with a report on why things went south on us 16 and a half to 11 and a half the europeans win ryan blaney wins at talladega all right yesterday was the last day of the regular baseball season we're not going to get into all the scores and everything i guess the highlight the astros won they beat the d-backs so they win the west By winning the West and by Texas losing, Texas, instead of winning the West and drawing a bye in the postseason, now has to travel on the road for the best two out of three the wild cards get underway tomorrow and they go in as like a lower seed and they'll play all the games on the road at least in the uh, first series Uh, Miguel Cabrero ended his great 21-year career yesterday they had a whole bunch of honors for him at the Tigers game he went 0 for 3 Buck Showalter announced he's not coming back to manage the uh, Mets and the passing away of Tim Wakefield kind of sad he's only 57 uh, died Two-time Boston Red Sox World Series champion. We had a basketball story yesterday. Mark Drew Holiday winds up with the Celtics. He was the guy, the, one of the major uh, acquisitions by Portland from Milwaukee in the Lillard trade. Celtics gave up a couple of players and a couple of draft picks to get Drew Holiday. I have always been a big fan of Drew Holiday. The former, I know you Pelican. have been. I have been, and I, I was kind of disappointed the Bucks let him go, but. That's a big plus for the uh, Boston Celtics.
1: Yeah. So clearly, there's a lot to get to throughout the course of our day here. Chances are we won't get it get to it all, but uh, we 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 haven't even mentioned Auburn. We'll get to that when we come back. Let's get you a scoreboard, traffic, and weather so we can get started here. Uh, we're going to talk to Theodore, head coach Steve Mask. He'll join us at 6:30. Ross Jackson on the Saints. That'll be a short discussion. Uh, Auburn, uh, Auburn's Ronnie Brown scheduled to join us. Speaking of Auburn, looking forward to talking to uh, to Ronnie. Uh, John Ricchetti, uh, crazy headlines coming out of the Ryder Cup over the weekend. Uh, our good friend Craig Stevenson on the Jags. Uh, my colleague over at AL.com and Mike Rodak on Alabama. So stay with us. We're just getting started. It's a Monday edition.
3: Hey, this is Bucky Blakes from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile.
1: All right, six twenty-one. Thanks for hanging with us on this Monday edition. It's the opening kickoff. Was Sunday a fun day for you? Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't terrible. Okay. Well, that's did good you get here. up early and watch the? Uh, the well, you, the Toy Story. I, I didn't know if no, you watched I, the any, football fun day. And I, I get
2: up early, but I I, I watched the college football. Did you, final. See
1: did you see? it, Michael? Did you see? The I
4: watched for like a couple minutes. It was unwatchable. Yeah. It wasn't working.
1: No, it, it was
4: it, all glitchy, and then. Uh, yeah, then I turned.
1: I was the same way. Kid. I watched a couple of plays. I'm like, hey, it's cute. I could see why a little kid would probably like it, but I, I'm not. I thought not it would
4: freak out a little kid. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, like, I get the Nickelodeon ones. Yeah. Like, I don't know. This one was, it was
1: odd, and the game was bad too. <laughs> well, yeah, you you can't you can't break into new demographics like six year olds unless you try. So kudos for the effort, I guess. Jags are playing back to back games in London, by the way, which is odd. Too. Well, good day, mate. Yeah,
4: good good on them. All right, uh, this week we'll have two road trips for us.
2: Speaking about road trips, uh, we'll be at McGill on Thursday and at Faith Academy on Friday. Thanks to the team at Dr. Christopher Mullinex with Mobile Oral and Facial Surgery. They are our title sponsor. So he along with Dr. Wallander, well, they're outstanding uh, oral surgeons. I've been there many, many times. I've had at least seven dental implants. I can recommend them. You don't ni- need a recommendation. You don't need a referral, but you can uh, take my word for it. Uh, you'll get the absolute absolute best that they have to offer it's no surprise they were voted uh by Lanyap best oral surgeons in the uh, city of mobile they provide facial trauma knocked out teeth wisdom teeth dental implants jaw surgery and much much more if you have a, a problem day of give them a call 471-3381 or visit them at 715 downtown or boulevard
1: <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen uh, a couple things uh as it pertains to alabama and auburn uh the real Nick Saban reared his head, and thanks to Miss Terry, things are all right in the world of Tuscaloosa. About time, too. Been waiting for that. Yeah. Like well, you know, he keeps on saying there's a time where you got to pat him on the butt, and there's a time you need to kick him in the butt, and he was clearly. Uh, um, he was in the, he was kicking butt. You know what? If you and a, it was a, li- I it w- it's what this team needed. I thought. If you're a Mississippi State fan, though, you gotta
2: wonder why does Will Rogers have some of his worst games uh, against Alabama? Well, I guess you credit the Alabama defense, but I if you look at his record, some of the worst games he's had against the Crimson Tide, and and he had a. a, a not so good game as did the offense they really couldn't get going i know they changed the offense for him this year you know they they, they instituted new things obviously with the passing way of mike leach you don't have the. but even when mike leach was coaching he still did not have good games yeah. against alabama well, and here's the other thing too and this is not a, a, about you or anything anything you say but you often wonder why i don't really go into detail when we do these picks and you brought out about well you know their pass defense alabama hardly even threw the ball it's amazing when you saw how few passes they threw, and neither did Auburn for that matter. Although Auburn threw, I think, 20, and uh, Milrow only threw about 12 passes, but they got the
1: job done with their running game. I think the uh, I think what you're going to see is a very angry Nick Saban moving forward, and rightfully so. I mean, I think he's trying to figure out what gets <laughs> these guys going, and I think he found it. I and I think he gave credit to Miss Terry, so. Miss Terry right now is the uh, coach of the year because there was a fire in Saban, and right, I think, and I think justifiably so. I think there were some things that were incredibly frustrating for Alabama fans to see, especially early, and uh, and he got after him, and it worked. So kudos, Nick. Welcome who, back. Help me out on this, you guys. Who was the coach this weekend? I think it was a college coach who
2: totally went ballistic, more so than Nick Saban, double what Sabin did at one of his assistants. Because his team had too many men on the field, and with Trent, all g- Trent
1: Dilfer at UAB, that's it. Dilfer, they thanks. got an illegal substitution penalty. Yes, boy, they were I playing had, um, Tulane. Uh, Tulane, and yeah. he went, he went unbelievable. Yeah, he was, I
2: mean, nuts. usually, I, I, I'm reading the uh, a book by Steve Spurrier, which is his autobiography, and one of the things he says in there: you do not tear down your assistants in front of your team. That's one of his staples in in coaching boy Dilfer just leveled on the coach on the field he said at Spurrier yeah Spurrier said that uh and he didn't have a problem going after his quarterbacks well he didn't say that. he just said assistant coaches uh-huh. in front of the team so Dilfer I don't think I've seen a tirade like that in quite some time I don't even think Saban I've ever never seen Saban even do something like that
1: uh he got after uh he, he got after Kiffin uh a, a little bit in their time together True, for but sure. that but
2: Dilfer wouldn't let up though he just kept going after him and going after him and I'm trying to remember who even won the game. Tulane, did yeah, they beat, they beat yeah. You, know, uh, you mentioned Auburn. I did want to throw this out. Hugh Freeze is coming to town tonight. Okay, he's going to speak to the first and ten club, 5:30, Mo's Downtown Barbecue. Um, so Auburn fans, you have a chance to go out and hear your head coach.
1: Yeah, uh, I, th- you know, he was screaming about RPOs, not screaming, but he made it a point about it. Seeing more RPOs, man. Peyton Thorne, I think, showed that he can help with his legs as much as he could his arm i thought the offense looked better georgia looked quite frankly unprepared for that aspect considering hugh freeze was saying all week that he wanted to see more rpos uh but i don't think anybody here would disagree with the assessment of the georgia tight end late in the game was just dude's a freak
4: the best player in college football
2: Others have said that. In fact, uh, I've heard that from others, that if a quarterback doesn't get the Heisman, give it to uh, Bowers. But I did want to say this. I understand what Auburn was trying to do. So for that, I certainly cannot criticize the game plan. Yes, there were times when... I would have preferred to see them, instead of running up the middle for no gain, maybe try a little passing, vertical passing, which we didn't see until late in the game. But I think I understand they were trying to shorten the game, they were trying to keep the clock running, and they were hoping to get into the fourth quarter with a chance to win the game. And if that's the case, if I'm right about that, well, then, you know, kudos to the coaching staff that they wanted to shorten the game, keeping the clock running. Uh, I thought, you know, I was hoping that they'd open up the game a little more than they did early on and, and try to hit the the fairweathers or the hooks or, or guys like that. But that was not to be the case because they did run the football. And there were times also when, you know, as you mentioned, uh, the quarterback was doing a lot of the ball carrying instead of giving it off to Hunter, although Hunter did have 19 carries. So, you know, he did get his chances.
4: Lee, your favorite stat. They went under 100 passing yards once again.
2: Six straight games now. (laughs) Can't even. See, to me, you got to have a little. Don't you think a little more balance?
4: Yeah. I mean, I I think they just can't throw the ball right now. Uh, I don't think Q Freeze trusts Peyton Thorne to be, you know, throw the ball with any kind of consistency. But I,
1: I thought. Agreed. But you would think that a team that knows you can't throw the ball... You would think they'd be able to, to stop, stop the, the run, run a little bit better. Yeah, so, Georgia was leaky. Yeah, they, they were. Leaky. And, uh, look, I didn't think Beck was great either. I mean, he made some plays, but especially early, he missed guys wide did, open. but he made some great throws in the second half to Bauer. He really did.
4: Bower's made a couple one-handed catches yeah, to he help was, him out, that too. That dude was nuts.
2: Why was Bauer so open on some of those I plays? So,
4: what What are you thinking? On
1: unguardable. It certainly feels that way. All right, we're going to talk some high school next. Uh, Theodore Head Coach Steve Massett to join us. Uh, we'll get some Chick-fil-A for you in our number one as well. And Ross Jackson on the Saints at 7. Mm-hmm. Stay with us. From
5: 54 for the win, on the way, Here it is there, and the Eagles remain.
1: 632 just flying through all these stories today it's the opening kickoff Monday morning quarterback style from the studios of WNSP Mark Lee and Bronner all with you here on uh, the sports station
2: that was one of the two overtime games in the NFL and uh, Elliott for the Eagles with a 54-yard field goal To win the game for Philadelphia. They uh, remain undefeated along with the 49ers. Speaking of field goals, let's bring in uh, Theodore Head, football coach, Steve Mass. Steve, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today?
6: I'm doing well. How about yourself, Lee?
2: Good. Have you ever had a kicker in your long and illustrious career? with three field goals as our Bryant Bank Player of the Week, Miguel Frias, had three field goals in your victory.
6: Yeah, I've actually had a couple. Wilson Beaverstile was a really good kicker at St. Paul's that had several in one game. And, of course, Grayson Miles did the same thing even in the state championship game. But Miguel really came through for us the other night. He was definitely a weapon for sure.
2: He gets player of the week. It's the first time I think since 2019 that a special teams player has been accorded the Bryant Bank. So Michael Holland will be getting in touch with you. But on the other hand, now obviously you'd like to have touchdowns over field goals. And lately, I think uh, you've only had like what one touchdown in the last two games, Steve, with Theodore.
6: Thanks for reminding me, Lee. It's a really good Monday morning to you. Brian. I know. Uh, good
2: uh, morning, but, uh, Steve. It's great to have you, know. you on. <laughs> it
0: really is.
2: Well,
6: it's, uh Well, you know, in, in the, the last two games, we played with Spanish Ford, and, and, of course, I'll, I'll block you. Try to take points as, as, as quick as you can get them. And when you can get them, we actually left another three on the board. I went forward on fourth and mm. two inside the 20 to in the game. I didn't make that or he would have had four. and. He missed another one from 45 yards about two minutes ago in the game. So, you know, I think that's why they call it football. We use a foot to put on the ball, and we get points out of it.
2: Hey, tell me about Frias, though. Is he like a newcomer? Is he off the soccer team, or just what's his background?
6: Well, he actually played last year at Theodore. It was very bad there, and he is on the soccer team. He's a 4.5 GPA kid, and he handles all my kicking duties. Obviously, he plays kicks, and he kicks off, and he punts, and he's averaging about 42 yards putting the ball, and uh, he places the ball really well in the kickoff. So he's he's a nice weapon to have, that's for sure.
2: Tell me about your defense, because obviously they've been rock solid the last couple of games.
6: Well, they've actually been rock solid all year. They, uh, You know, we gave a few points to, to Baker in open game and didn't play well there, but after, in the last five games, my God, they played lights out. I think uh, the most points we've given up was the uh, – uh, Tando Palaka, that I will give up eight to the Spanish Ford, and two of those were, we gave to them on safety. But, uh, Randy Larson done a great job, along with other defensive coaches, uh, getting those guys ready to play, and uh, they're fun to watch play defense.
2: So, tell me about the offense. Uh, what, what are you going to be working on this week to get ready for your next game?
6: Well, actually, Lee, we started the top one quarterback last week. First start all year against Opalaki came in in the second quarter against Venice Fort. Rashon Overton came in. He played really, really well. And uh, you know, we've got to get his legs a little bit more involved in the game. And uh, we went back to some old time, uh, lack of a better words, state match football tonight. We 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 lined up and just ran it right up. And you know, I think that's probably our identity going forward. And. And uh, I was really pleased with our offensive line. All of our guys really played well on, on offense of the night. We would have liked to have had no two more touchdowns out of it, but we'll take points the way we can get them the way our defense is playing.
2: Tell me about the region now. Where do you stand in the region and uh, what's ahead?
6: Well, we've got, we're uh, open this week. Thank goodness we need it. Then we've come back with Blunt and McGill and Carolina and St. Paul. So we're, uh, I guess, we're tied for second with St. Paul's right now. And, uh, you know, obviously, the, they all count, so there's four left, so the, the reach is still wide open. And, you know, it takes, it takes a, a rocket scientist to figure out who we're all trying to chase. And I don't know if we never catch them or not. We, we'll worry about them in three weeks, but we, we need a week off to recuperate a little bit. It's been real brutal the first. You know, the last three weeks have been really, really tough on our bodies, so we're looking forward to to going forward to the last part of the season.
2: Steve, you know, we're so much looking forward to coming out and visiting you and Theodore uh, a couple of weeks down the road. Uh, congratulations to the Bryant Bank uh, Player of the Week. That's uh, Miguel Frias, your place kicker. And like I said, uh, Bryant Bank will be getting in touch with you this week.
6: Well, thank you, Len. Thanks Michael Holland. and everything they do, Bryant Bank. And, uh, uh, and, and just so, so pleased with what y'all do for everybody.
1: Coach, good to have you on again, sir. We'll be in touch. Enjoy the rest of your Monday.
6: Thank you, Mark. Good to hear from you, too, and y'all have a great, great weekend.
1: That's Steve Mask, ladies and gentlemen, the head coach at, at Theodore. I want to remind you, by the way, uh, coming up, uh, the 11th Annual Rolling Tigers Booster Club Bash. This is a great event, uh, which supports wheelchair sports at Auburn. It's right here in Mobile, uh it's a 10 there's a ten thousand dollar drawdown folks so not only are you supporting arm uh auburn wheelchair uh sports man you're you're helping yourself out a little bit man there are only 300 tickets sold it's set for december 6th over at st dominic's murphy center it's catered by Gay- bay gourmet it is dj'd by our own matt mccoy and there's an outstanding silent auction. Several sports items, Auburn and Alabama. We're going to tell you more about that as it gets closer. they got a signed soccer ball by Pele. So if anyone is looking for tickets, if anyone's interested to donate to the auction, contact Dr. Mike uh, Rim at 251-232-4753. That's 232 232- 4753 again all the proceeds to benefit the auburn wheelchair sports the rolling tigers booster club by the way it's an organization supports wheelchair sports at auburn the club was inspired by mobile native dr jared rim he was born with spina bifida and became the first wheelchair athlete to compete for auburn university so we encourage you to get involved Auburn wheelchair basketball head coach Rob Taylor expected to be there at the event. So mark your calendars for December 6th. It's the 11th annual Rolling Tigers Booster Club Bash. It's a great event. uh, Plenty of great memorabilia. uh, And, again, only 300 tickets sold. So don't wait. They sell out every year. Again, call Dr. Mike Rim, 232-4753.
2: So of all the games you watched uh, this weekend, what? Putting aside any loyalties to teams, what was the best game you watched? Uh, And and I would throw out, I guess the LSU Ole Miss game was an unbelievable shootout as far as back and forth like that, although nobody really played defense. But was there a game that really captivated you?
1: Uh, I kept going back to that Duke-Notre Dame game. Um, That LSU-Ole Miss game was just wild, and I— You know, we we get picks wrong all the time, and we talk about how the games are going to play out, but I don't think anybody in their wildest imagination thought it was going to be a track meet. I mean, Ole Miss, how is it that Ole Miss, or any team for that matter, can put up 711 yards and the other team have a chance to win it at the end?
2: Or how can they put up that much and basically go back a week before that and virtually do nothing against Alabama?
1: Right, so what's changed i mean we've talked about alabama's defense being championship caliber for the last couple couple weeks but are they are they that good or is lsu's that bad lsu's got problems man they got serious issues well i think
2: this is uh i may maybe too early to say this but uh obviously their second loss this year they're out of the the college football playoff playoff now of course they could still get into the sec championship game if they Uh, Defeat Alabama this year, but uh, I was very disappointed in the way LSU played. Not that I was rooting for them because, like I say, that was a real shootout. And, like you said, you pointed out Notre Dame Duke, totally different game, defensive minded game versus an LSU Ole Miss shootout.
4: What do you think, Bronner? What was Ole Miss doing at the end of the game? Because they could have taken three knees and kicked a field goal, and it almost cost them, yeah i mean the l s u obviously it ended up that it was one play from the twenty five and you know it would have taken a miracle play to get into the end zone, but you know i was I was at stables waiting for the Alabama game to come on, which by the way is an entirely different discussion. ESPN puts this LSU Ole Miss game in a three-hour window with the Alabama game coming on after, knowing that the Alabama that's not going to be over in three hours. And oh, you just figure it out on your app and uh, you know figure out a different way to watch the start of the Alabama well, game.
2: Well, they moved it to the ESPN News, which they normally do, and they do this a lot though. This is not just for this game; it happens all too often with this three-hour window because most games. Go three hours, 15 minutes, three hours, 30 minutes. And I'm looking at, I think they're what, uh, early in the fourth quarter, and I'm like, all right, luckily I have ESPN News. Yeah. I knew I was going to be switching off to that, but this happens all too often.
4: Yeah, it certainly was not unique to this game. I, I don't know why college football or ESPN and Other television networks insist on putting these games in a three-hour window. College football games are almost never over within three hours, and then there's eight minutes left in this LSU-Ole Miss game, and Alabama was starting. But anyway, yeah, I mean, they could have really taken three knees and kicked a field goal, but it was fantastic. LSU gets the second loss, Ole Miss. Yeah, I guess it's as much of an indictment on LSU's defense as it is a uh, positive sign for L. So the first,
1: defense. so like the first play on LSU's final drive, Ole Miss gives up yeah. like 40 yards on a freaking drag, right? Yeah. Like, what are you guys, what are you doing?
4: We were at Stables, like the game volume of the Ole Miss game was still on. We're trying to watch the one screen of the Alabama game cuz only one screen could get the stream for the Alabama game by it was it was chaos at stables on You know Saturday I'm night.
2: looking at Auburn and Alabama and I'm thinking this is like a throwback to days of yesteryear defense and running game defense running game
1: uh, all right, you guys can jump in if you want to at 694-1055, the best and the worst of the weekend, all that good stuff. Uh you guys can uh you can you can share uh, here on this Monday edition. Did, did any of you watch Davis
2: the running back for Kentucky when you talk about the best for the weekend? This guy rushed for 280 yards against Florida. I think the second most ever against the Gators, but there was a point in the game, Kentucky was down at about the 2-yard line. And Davis scored up the middle. Florida had 13 players on the field. Hmm. Couldn't stop them.
4: They they really smoked Florida. Yeah, I
1: did not see that one coming.
4: I think that says a lot more about, again, you know, you can make a transitive property argument all day, but Tennessee goes two weeks ago and gets killed by Florida. I don't think Florida's any good. Ray
2: Davis, who uh, rushed for that 280 yards, was a transfer from Vanderbilt.
4: There you go. Kentucky has Georgia next week, by the way. And one of one of
2: Auburn's best players, McAllister, is a transfer from Vanderbilt.
4: You think uh, you give Kentucky any shot against Georgia Lee?
2: I give them a shot. I'm not going to say they're going to
4: win. It is at
2: Georgia, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yes, but uh, I give them a shot. I was impressed with Kentucky, but who wouldn't? The way they decimated Florida. This is one of the keynote games this week coming. Is this the? uh, No, it's not. The CBS game is Alabama, Alabama. Texas A&M. What time is Georgia Kentucky? It's
4: probably at night too. Oh. See, Kentucky
2: here's the problem. Kentucky's undefeated, but do we take them it's Kentucky. So do we, oh, do how do we disrespectful. take them? No, no, but I mean there's two teams in the east that are undefeated, Missouri and Kentucky. Yeah. And because it's not a tradition, in a sense, that these two teams are always up there. Do we take them seriously? Like you would say, do they have a shot? Yes, Kentucky has a shot. Now, do I think they can? Uh, what's the spread on this game anyway? It's
4: Fifteen. Uh, I take Kentucky somewhat seriously. I thought going into the game like they had an. Ar- obviously, everyone thought Georgia was going to win the East. But if there was an argument not to be made for Tennessee for second place in the East, I think it's Kentucky. I mean, I like Devin Leary. Uh, I will
2: say this: If they can run the football as well as they did against Florida, because Florida had one of the best defenses coming into the game, they'll have a chance. George if they can, if they can run, run. Auburn ran the football for over two hundred yards. If Kentucky can do that,
4: they have a chance. george has got Georgia's leaky. I don't know. Fifteen seems like
1: a big number. I do think the uh, Alabama A and M game is the SEC game of the week, though, without a question. Mm-hmm. After A and uh, starting to kind of put it together, I think. I think Alabama's trending the right way on offense. All of a sudden, this game
7: kind
1: of decides the SEC West, doesn't it? It it. does, very much so after the LSU loss. Remember
2: Um, when we talked about Arkansas and A&M, and I said, you know, it it always comes up, KK Jefferson, but I'm mm -hmm. saying, how come in in games that matter, as good an athlete, as good a quarterback, he can't carry them through, and then he had that that deflected pass, for a touchdown, which totally turned that game around, and again, you know, I maybe they didn't get good line play, but whatever it is, he he doesn't come up with the big play to put his team in a position to win.
4: I'll tell you what, last week I said KJ Jefferson is uh, is the best in the SEC. I, I'm gonna go ahead and say Jaden Daniels now. I mean, some of the throws he made, I know they lost, but I mean, he was he was dropping dimes all over the field against Ole Miss. Jaden Daniels is phenomenal. Notice
2: where the SEC, in a sense, except for George, has disappeared. The AP, not one SEC school, but Georgia in the top ten. As far as Heisman candidates, we don't hear anybody in the SEC this year, as of yet. I mean, you know, things can change. If, if anybody, it would be Daniels right now would be the one. But it's kind of like every, all the, the whole scene is shifted to the Pac-12, and – to let's see who else would be well of course Ohio State Michigan and and places like that they seem to dominate the top 10 now
4: obviously Georgia ended up winning against Auburn but for a while there it was like you could almost start visualizing the possibility of an SEC free playoff it's not impossible say Georgia loses a game in the regular season say Alabama or A&M whichever one uh has one loss going into the SEC championship I mean, or two losses going into the SEC championship. Beats Georgia. Georgia, the SEC champion, has two losses. Georgia has two losses. You know, Texas, Michigan, Florida State, a Pac-12 team, which, by yeah. the way, is really strong. It's not impossible that no. we have an you, SEC You definitely free need two lo-
1: a two-loss champion, though.
4: Well, of course. I mean, yeah. one
1: lost cha- yeah. SEC champion would, makes the playoff. Would any of you right now, as I heard
2: over the weekend with Talking Heads, consider Texas the best team right now playing the best. It's hard
4: it's hard not to. It's hard to say Georgia. I I don't know if anyone deserves the
1: title of best. I know, best team I, I, in the but I know right I
2: mean, it now. changes from day to day. But right now, cuz I heard uh, one of the shows they said is, you know, I forget who it was that said I think it was Dan Mullen came in and said Texas easily is the best team playing the best, playing the best right now. Yeah,
0: I'll go
4: with Texas. Like maybe Penn State has a case. I I mean, Hmm. There aren't that many great teams right now. Joey Galloway made a great point
2: why George is number one. He said, for this reason, they've won back-to-back championships until they lose. In his opinion, they deserve to be number one. Doesn't matter how close the games are
1: until they lose.
4: That Texas-Oklahoma game next week is uh, shaping up to be pretty epic.
1: All right, when we come back, you're going to offer up some fried deliciousness? Yes. All right, let's do that because everybody loves fried deliciousness. Except the guy giving it away can't have everything. Wrap up hour number one next. Ross Jackson on the Saints in hour number two. Auburn's Ronnie Brown set to join us at 730. Um, We'll talk uh, Ryder Cup, which was just anarchy. uh, At 8 o'clock with John Ricchetti. Craig Stevenson. uh, My colleague over at AL.com, he covers the Jags. We'll find out what's going on with those guys. And uh, Mike Rodak at 830. Stay with us. we got a busy Monday edition right here on the Sports Station WNSP. This is Mayor
8: Sandy Stimson. You're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP.
0: Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day,
1: where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. All right, boys and girls, it's 6.53 on this Monday edition, and Mr. Shervanian has a brain teaser for you. This has to
2: do with the SEC, and it has to do with Missouri, and, and, and it's just my opinion maybe, but Missouri flying way under the radar now. They're undefeated. And I wonder how many of you out there can even name who their quarterback is. It's Brady Cook. He's uh, been playing on an injured knee. He's been wearing a knee brace. But this past week against Vanderbilt, he completed a pass that shattered the SEC record for the most consecutive passes without an interception, 325. Name the quarterback he surpassed who had thrown 325 passes without an interception. Cook is now the all-time leader in the SEC who has not been picked off for that number of passes. All
1: right, there you go. Up for grabs. Also, at some point today, we have to get the next one of you guys qualified for the Alec Naming Catering Party, so be listening for details on that. But be the first one to get Bronner on the phone right now at 694-1055, and some fried deliciousness is yours. So we were talking about the Duke and the Notre Dame game and you know
2: I, I again reflecting on something I said earlier. So here's Notre Dame late in the game trailing what 14 to 13, I think it was, right? And they have a fourth and 16. And all Duke has to do is stop their quarterback and Duke can basically get the ball and run the clock out. As it turned out, they drove the field, they scored a touchdown putting Duke in a position where they had to come from behind. And that's what resulted in the injury to Riley Leonard. In the pocket, he got crunched, strip sacked, and went down. And I'm telling you, when he went down, and I'm just reading, trying to read lips on the screen as best as you can, it looked very serious to me. They're calling it a high ankle sprain right now. And they're saying he could be back before
1: the end of October. Well, they couldn't, they couldn't protect him at all in that game. I mean, they just couldn't handle Notre Dame's front seven. But we go back to the defense. The defense is really what lost that game, which which is ironic considering how few points were actually scored in that game. But um, Riley didn't have a great game, but they played well enough to win. And Duke's defense is legit. I mean, we we've saw, seen them down a couple times this year, play up to the uh, up to the standard. So um, they've got it going on in Duke. I'm wondering if this impacts riley's decision at the end of the season i don't know where he was where he stood i don't think riley knew where he stood as far as his the next step in his football career but uh um duke had every opportunity to win this game i won't say they should have because i don't think they should have but they could have easily won had could have won that yeah his his stats were pedestrian they were like
2: 12 for 27 passing uh under 200 yards but he did run for 88 yards in the first half they really couldn't get anything going and if you remember they were trailing 13 to nothing i think what late in the third or early fourth quarter he rallied them it would have been quite a story had they won the game because of the fact and we talk about heisman moments not saying he would have put him in a position for a Heisman moment but if he could have rallied them and gotten getting them a win over this nationally televised game and well the hype that went before the game with their game day it really would have added credence to his resume but as it turned out the strip sack the injury and so forth he had to leave the field very nice gesture by Sam Hartman the Notre Dame quarterback who cut short his press conference to seek out Riley Leonard who was on crutches on the
1: sideline and go over and, and wish him well. There's a question in the app. Why can't Thorne see the edge pressure? It'd be so obvious that they're sending an edge blitz and he doesn't uh, shift the protection, call a, uh, a hot rod, I guess, or check the ball down. Does Freeze not give the leeway to change that at the line? That question needs to be
2: asked. Maybe if we get Ronnie Brown on at 730, Mark, you can pose that question to him. Me? Okay. Pose the question to Ronnie Brown and see yes what sir, he says. I-, I
1: will ask the question.
2: Yes. Ask Ronnie Brown. He's there on the sideline. He knows what's going on. Ronnie Brown, actually, if if I don't know if you remember this, but during the broadcast, the telecast, he was quoted. Uh, Nestler or Danielson said that they had heard or Ronnie Brown had said that Auburn needs to get another turnover. So they brought his name into the equation, mentioned that he was a great running back in the NFL and that Auburn needed to get a turn, a turn of which they did early in the third quarter. And for that, I'll say this. Auburn really protected the ball well, all all things considered. Uh, Didn't hurt themselves a lot with penalties. Didn't turn the ball over like Georgia did. But in the long run, the more talented team won the game.
1: All right. uh, Here's what we got cooking for hour number two. Ross Jackson, Ronnie Brown. Hour number three, John Ruchetti, Craig Stevenson, Mike Rodak. We're busy. We got a lot going on. But we're going to get to it all. And, of course, you guys. We get a winner on the Chick-fil-A. Jeff. Congratulations, Jeff.
2: Quarterback who had held the record most times throwing the football without being intercepted was Andre Woodson of
1: Kentucky. Wow. Impressive. Hour number one is in the books. Here we go. Hour number two is next right here on the Sports Station WNS pick.
0: The opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Chevanian, and Michael Bronner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael.
1: All right, 7.05, hour number two already on this Monday. Thanks for hanging with us, Mark. I'm Lou Ravaney and Michael Bronner, all in the studios at WNSP.
2: All right, some quick headlines before we get to our next guest. Duke quarterback Riley Leonard suffered a high ankle sprain in the Duke loss to Notre Dame on Saturday. They hope to get him back before the end of the month. Uh, NASCAR Ryan Blaney wins at Talladega in golf. Europe beats the U.S. in the 44th annual uh, Ryder Cup baseball the houston astros win the west that means texas relegated to wild card the wild card games get underway best two out of three tomorrow in the nfl eagles 49ers remain undefeated bears and panthers still winless first wins for denver and minnesota and tampa beats the Orleans saints and takes over first in the nfc south to that we bring in our good friend ross jackson uh saints uh, si also a podcast and Ross, I watched that game in disgust. What happened to the Saints' offense?
9: Yeah, I mean, how much time we got? Uh, (laughs) No, I look look at this New Orleans Saints' offense, and and it's clear to see that this is a team that has a lot of talent on its roster, that this is not, you know, kind of an issue of, of the players' inability to execute or anything like that. We've seen the same issues and same concerns several different you know, players over, several different quarterbacks over now over the course of the past two seasons. And so it seems that there's a, a much bigger question to ask in terms of how the Saints are going to get this offense fixed because it's something that they're doing in terms of whether it be play calling or preparing for games, whatever it is, but it seems like it's beyond the talent of this team at this point.
2: Ross is with Saints News Network, SI, Locked on Saints Podcast. All right, let me ask you this. One of the commentators, I didn't even get who it was, working the game with Chris Myers, said in his opinion, it looked like the Saints were kind of listless on offense, the receivers weren't running energized routes and so forth, and they just didn't come out with much life in the game. Do you buy into that?
9: Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I, that that's something that I didn't necessarily observe myself, but I haven't gone back and watched the, the film of the game either, but being there in person, I mean, it seemed like everybody was running full speed to me. They just weren't winning. And so I think that there's bigger questions to ask than effort. I think that the bigger questions that you have to ask are why is the middle of the field being left wide open by a defense? And why are you not adjusting to attack it? Why are you still firing passes 40 yards downfield on third and three, third and four? Those are the questions that I think are a little bit more, uh, useful to ask I think the question of effort and things like that is probably something that commentators tend to jump to pretty quickly but not something that's usually representative of what the actual issue is for a team it's usually if there's an effort issue that's usually a symptom of a larger problem
1: Ross you know I know we're going to talk a lot about the offense but at least especially early in the game the defense just couldn't get off the field man I, I was baffled at how bad they were we were even joking that when the Bucks got to about third and seven or third and six which appeared to be Pretty frequently, I, we kept joking that they had the Saints right where they wanted them because they keep converting.
9: Yeah, the the Bucks converted a fifty three percent clip on third downs, and oftentimes those were indeed third and longs. And this is, you know, again, uh, this is a New Orleans Saints problem that kind of reared its ugly head that you know you you kind of thought was taken care of. Uh, you know, this is this is New Orleans Saints up past in a way to see the the third and longs being given up and and, and things like that. I mean, that's. That's a tough struggle for this team. And when you have an offense that's already struggling to catch its rhythm and an offense that doesn't seem to really have an identity, an offense that doesn't seem to be willing or, or able to spread the ball out right now, not having them on the field becomes an issue for you because you can't get those things figured out. You can't get those things worked out. You can't catch that rhythm. And so when you have an offense that's you know, allowing a defense, or excuse me, when you have a defense that's allowing an offense to stay on the field, Uh, Especially early on in the game, before you can start to make any of the, you know, um, assessments around, oh, well, they were on the field for a long time and all these other things. That wasn't necessarily the case, and this defense still found a way to struggle there, and a big part of it was tackling. Tackling, I think, was the the defense's biggest issue, and it's kind of been the story for the past, let me just say, like six quarters, right, since the halftime of the Green Bay game and then throughout this game in Tampa.
2: In that they weren't able to score any touchdowns, in that Derek Carr was coming off an injury, and again, I, you can't tell how much that affected his game. Was there any questions put to the coach, Dennis Allen, or any thought given to maybe changing quarterbacks if, in fact, uh, Carr was, was hurt physically?
9: Yeah, um, he was. Uh, Dennis Allen was asked if he ever thought about going to Jameis at any point during the game, and his answer was no. Um, and so there, there was no thought about that until the very end of the game where I guess Derek Carr maybe expressed that there was some soreness in the shoulder, that's why Jameis came out for that last series or or effectively last play uh, of the game. But, um, yeah, so so Dennis Allen was asked directly if he ever thought about changing quarterbacks and, and, and gave the answer no. And, look, I didn't really see anything in this game outside of maybe one throw where, you know, Derek Carr's arm was of concern. He was still moving around. He took his hits. He did all the things that he usually does for, for the New Orleans Saints offense. I thought of maybe one throw with Chris Olave wide open on the right sideline where he looked to, to underthrow that one for sure. Um, it didn't seem that there was anything that you would look at and say, okay, well, Derek's arm, you know, Derek Carr's arm has gotten in the way here. So, uh, I, again, I, I look at the larger issue as opposed to Derek Carr's arm in this one. I don't think that that was of detriment to
2: this. Team. I saw a few players slipping. Sliding was there any was this any different than any other game? It seemed like players were going down on the Saints and digging up whatever it is they have on the surface. Was this just uh, uh, something that happens all the time, or was just an unusual situation?
9: Yeah, it's been unusual, it did, and and they had a lot of these sort of like slipping issues against Green Bay and at Lambeau last week too. And I thought maybe it was just the the natural grass. You know, adjustment or something like that in Green Bay. But then we saw the same thing. I mean, Taysom Hill potentially could have gotten a first down at one point, but ended up losing his footing. And then we saw, I think it was early on in the game, Taysom lose his footing as well. We saw it with a couple of other players. Um, Jimmy Graham fell down at one point while running a route. I mean, I don't know what that is. Uh, We'll ask about it today. Um, I'm not sure that we're going to that there's really an answer for us outside of you know, yeah, they slipped. But yeah, it is interesting because it it has been really these last two games where they've kind of had this this footing issue.
2: All right. uh, Around the NFL, anything that caught your attention yesterday?
9: um i well first of all denver getting their first win put chicago firmly in the lead for the number one overall selection and right now also the number two overall selection because they've also got the carolina panthers number one or, or, or for you know first uh, round selection thanks to uh that trade-up for green for chicago or trade-up for carolina last year so that works out really really well for chicago we saw some nice things out of zach wilson yesterday i know that the you know, the story of that game is Taylor Swift and the, the Kansas City Chiefs winning twenty three to twenty. But I thought you saw some nice things from Zach Wilson. He's done a couple of Aaron Rodgers esque things that he clearly picked up working with the quarterback. So there's a little bit of uh little bit of hope there. But maybe early on in that game, one of the biggest storylines to come out of this weekend is Aaron Rodgers during that game saying that he's working and his plan is to be back this season, which would be a near miraculous return timeline for the uh, for the quarterback so that's going to be a big thing to watch is uh whatever his injury recovery is and when he ends up hitting the field again I wouldn't hold my breath if I were a Jets fan but it is interesting to hear that from Aaron uh
1: Ross uh, I gotta go back to the Saints for a second there because uh I think it was you that asked Dennis Allen about possibly changing play callers right um
9: Uh, I was I was among a couple folks that asked
1: okay so I thought one of the comments he made during, and it, it may have been directly to that com, uh, question, I thought was interesting when he talked about not necessarily, first of all, he's not interested in changing that, but he said, and I quote, primarily it goes to execution. It kind of feels like he's putting it on the guys and not on the coaches there.
9: Did you get that impression? Yeah, that was that was a little curious to me, but then he kind of backed up a moment later, and I think it was in response to uh, to Nick Underhill when he mentioned that you know if I if you put it all on execution, then it's a cop out. So, so I think what he's trying to say is that there that is that there's a lot of shared responsibility, right? And and maybe primarily wasn't the right word to use there, but I do think that there is enough to look at across this entire team. If there is an effort issue, if there is a quarterback issue, if there is a play calling issue, all of those things can be true, all at the same time, right? So, yeah. uh, and and that's not ideal <laughs> because that makes it harder to fix. And I think that you know, you go to to Derek Carr's conversation with us. One of the things that he mentioned was that, you know, there's nothing that's going wrong that they don't know about, which tells you that they should be able to correct this moving forward. Um, Alvin Kamara saying it's not a locker room issue. We've got the players. If it was the players, we would have figured it out a long time ago. So I think you're seeing a lot of people sort of pointing out a bunch of different issues. And that's, that's not good news for the New Orleans Saints because that means that there's a lot there to fix over on the offensive side as opposed to just one thing. But you would imagine that if you can find the person that can come in on game day and maximize and utilize the talent of this, of this team and attack every blade of grass on the field, that that would inherently help them be able to address maybe some of the other concerns that might be out there.
1: Always good to have you on, sir. How uh how can people continue to read as you uh as you will find the answers that uh to all of the Saints' problems?
9: <laughs> well I'm gonna do my best, that's for sure. <laughs> Certainly gonna do a big third down breakdown to the first quarter of the season, kind of catalog what it is the Saints have been doing on third down so far, because whatever it is they're doing, it's not working. Yeah. If you want to find that, you can head over to Saints uh, Saints News Network, saints.media um, on, online, or you can also check out the Locked on Saints podcast. Just search Locked on Saints on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. That's free for you every single Monday through Friday. And you can find it all in one place on Twitter, or let's just say social media. There at you Ross go. Jackson, Nola, N-O-L-A.
1: Hey man, thanks for the time as always. We appreciate it. Have a great week.
9: I got you, guys. Take care. Stay safe. Talk to you soon.
1: All right. Scoreboard, traffic, and weather. When we come back, you have a shot at being qualified for the next Alec Neyman catering party with another round of naming It. 7.30, Ronnie Brown, 8 o'clock, John Ricchetti. Man, all hell was breaking loose with the Ryder Cup. That was the most entertaining Ryder Cup I think, uh, I think I've seen in quite some time. And it had absolutely nothing to do with golf. Uh, Craig Stevenson at 8:20. Our good friend, um, he covers the Jags for uh, AL.com, and Mike Rodak at Al- for, on Alabama at 8:30. Stay with us; plenty left. Hey, this is AJ
5: McCarron, and you're listening to WNSD.
1: All right, 723, here we go. Time for a little edition of Namin' It. That's right, we're going to play an audio clip of a person, place, or thing. If you can identify, if you can be the first person to identify said clip and uh, let Mr. Bronner know, you'll be the latest to qualify for the Alec Naming Catering Party. I think this one's going to be tough, I think. Bronner and I were kind of discussing at the uh, at the break there as to whether or not to go with it, but, well, there's only one way to find out, am I right? So uh, let her rip, and let's rack some guys and see what we can get here. Go ahead, Bronner. What do you think, Lee? You got any idea?
2: I have a thought or two, but I'm going to hold off. Let Uh -uh. your audience – I, I first, of all, I thought it sounded like one thing, and then something else came in there, so I was kind of torn between two. All right,
1: so uh, let's get a couple of them going here. Let's take our first caller. Go ahead, caller. Tell us what you got. Is it a gas grill? Wow! Who are we talking to? This
7: is Joseph.
1: Joseph, well done, sir. You see, this, the reason I went with it was because I figured it was a tailgate and that maybe somebody would get it, but I did not expect uh, a first call answer there. Well done. Stay on the line. Uh, Bronner's going to get your information. Uh, way to start the week, sir. Thank you, sir. What, what did he say? That was a gas grill. Oh, okay. I was a little off then. I wouldn't have, guessed that. I wouldn't have gotten that right. See, this is why you guys always, you, you, you amaze me. Every time I think it's going to be easy, it winds up being hard. Anytime it's hard, I think it's going to be hard. You guys knock it out the park. Well done. The next winner will be announced a week
2: from this coming Friday.
1: All right, so we'll get nine folks, um, and uh, that was well done. I felt like it was easy, but I knew the answer. So sometimes it's hard to justify you know, or to determine whether or not it's easy or not if you know the answer. But, man. My gas grill doesn't make
2: noises like that. Maybe you're using it wrong. Probably. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not among the elite gas grillers by any means. No. Do you do a lot of grilling? No. Hmm. No. I'm not good at grilling. I don't care. And (laughs) that's basically it because I don't eat hardly. I don't hardly eat meat anyway. So put other things on the grill. Like what? Have you ever had corn on the grill? It's delicious. Corn on the you know what we do now to make corn a lot easier. I don't microwave it for three minutes. And I'll tell you why. And my Real wife crisp. found this out. No, my <laughs> wife found this out. Know. You know, what? what is the one thing that turns people off corn? Shredding it, right? Getting that stuff off of it. If you put it in the microwave, mm-hmm. put it on for three minutes. Mm-hmm. And obviously you take it out and let it cool off a little bit because sure. it's warm. It's three That's, minutes. That stuff just about shreds itself. You don't have to you don't have to work for it. And the corn is great. So we do microwave corn now. Mm-hmm. Yuck. Yuck.
1: Cooking Tips by Lee Trevaney. We should do your own segment. You and Alec could do a cooking show. You Alec would be like, shuck the corn. Alec be like, uh, you know, well, you put, Ma- Michael, don't say yuck if you haven't tried
2: it, okay? I mean, it works. I, I thought it, I, didn't, I wasn't sure, but then after I tried it, because I don't like shucking corn, all right? You got all those little tiny things to get out. Well, this takes care of it. <laughs> Take that, Bronner. Efficiency. You want, the, you want the rewards. You got to shuck the corn. Well, the the corn tastes every bit as good as when we boil it, or I've done it on the grill also, Mark. I will say that. We have done it on the grill, and it's very good. But this comes out, and it, it beats the purpose
4: of shucking it, and it tastes just as good. So All right, You're getting support in the app, so I'll take your word for it. I like canned corn in the microwave. I'll eat any kind of corn, honestly. I love corn. Okay. <laughs> you like candy corn? Oh. <laughs> um, I don't love candy corn. It's okay. I can eat. I can stomach a little bit of it, and it's really good. And then I'll get sick of it.
1: I like candy corn. Uh, (laughs) You guys, (laughs) did you
2: stay up late? uh, Make it through the Alabama game? Yeah, total. Yeah.
4: I made it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know the the stables drink deals helped. (laughs) Does the game turn out better the more you drink? Uh, well, the game turned out better the more Alabama scored touchdowns, for sure. Amazing that
2: uh, when I saw the final totals on it, and, and obviously you're watching the game, and you know Milrow's not throwing the football that much, but we're a real throwback to the days of running the football yeah. and throwing it. What, what did he throw, 12 passes, 12 passes I, I think? 12
4: Ty Simpson threw one. Yeah,
2: 13 total passes
1: and, and, and scoring 40 points. You know was impressive, a guy we have, in co- uh, What's his, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, the receiver, Nye Black? Amari Nyblack. Yeah. That he's, dude, good. Oh, he's good. The that dude, end. I was like, yeah. man, get that dude the ball some more. He was uh he was impressive. He he caught a couple. One didn't count, I think I called back or whatever, but uh man, he or it was out of bounds, right? Yeah. I think he had that like uh, almost like a Tyrone Pro throw type catch there. Yeah, he's a weapon. He was uh
4: they're figuring out an identity, man. 12, 12 to fifteen passes a game, run the ball, play good defense. Who knows? But isn't that when
2: they hired Tommy Reese? The the, the thought was that they were going to go back to more of a running game, not so much throwing. Wasn't well, that I the? I think that narrative? also
4: combined with the fact that the quarterback is not
1: a very good passer. Uh, like right. I think if
4: they had Bryce Young still, they'd be throwing the ball.
1: Oh, and Kool Aid needs to stop muffing punts. But hmm. ten out of twelve That's is in bad. All right, what are we oh, doing? That was good. Let's take a break. We come back. Ronnie Brown will talk some Auburn next right here on the Sports Station WNSP. In a busy Monday edition, thanks for
2: hanging with us. All right, that was uh, the Panthers scoring the first touchdown against the Vikings, a 99 yard pick six. And as it turned out, the Vikings came back. Auburn could have used a, a pick six like that. With that, we bring in the Auburn sideline reporter and himself a great athlete at Auburn. You know, as I was um, watching all these, uh, let's say, uh, stories about uh, Cam Newton. Uh, Frank Thomas, uh, some of the celebrities, the, the gymnast, uh, SUNY Lee there. And I'm thinking, you know, Ronnie Brown could have fit into that picture very well. Ronnie, good morning. How are you today?
3: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How you doing
2: this morning? Good. Yeah, I just uh, give you kudos, too. You could have easily fit into all the celebrities that were at that game on uh, Saturday.
3: A-list Auburn celebrities, all of those <laughs> all of those people. But, no, it was cool. I appreciate it. <laughs> Ronnie,
2: you had yourself a great NFL career as well as – by the way, did you know you were quoted by the CBS broadcast team during the game?
3: I've heard that. Um, I think a couple people reached out. Um, after the game or during the game and I saw a few messages and people were saying, hey, they, I guess they quoted something about a turnover.
2: Yeah, they, they came on, I think it was right after the half, they said uh, that Ron, we, talked, or we heard from Ronnie Brown and we talked to Ronnie Brown and he said, Auburn has got to get a turnover and before you could say turnover, that's what happened and Auburn came out with a turnover. Let me ask you this, you're on the sideline, was there any point in that game that you thought Auburn could really
3: win the game? Well, I think going into the fourth quarter, um, you know, I think going into it, you know, and I think we're speaking candidly, and honestly, coming into that game, obviously being a 14-and-a-half-point underdog, um, you know, it's tough. You also talk about the talent that Georgia's uh, accumulated over the last few years, top recruiting classes, and so, you know, you're looking at all the things, you know, that we've had going on in terms of Auburn football, new coaches, um, You know, and I think a few changes, um, trying to go through transfer portal. And so, you know, it's the first season for Coach Hugh Freeze and his staff. And so, you look at all of those things in comparison to the consistency that Georgia's had, two national championships and all of that, I would have thought, you know, that was an uphill battle, which it was, but also – you know realize too like that our team does have a lot of fight obviously we're going to trending in the right direction and so you look at those things um i was just happy going into the fourth quarter and i knew we had an opportunity it was still going to be you know a few more plays that needed to be made i know we were talking about turnover but you know also being able to move the ball consistently um you know and i think this is the first time in the last 10 years that The team that's won the game hasn't won the rushing battle in that game. And so you look at all of those things, I thought we had an opportunity, but we still needed a few more plays here and there.
1: So, you know, Q Freeze was talking up a lot about the RPOs going into the game. You saw it. Peyton Thorne showed he had some uh, moves with the ball. Are we going to see more of this moving forward? Are they kind of building their offensive identity right in front of our eyes?
3: No, I mean that I don't know Um, I'm not on the coaching staff I don't get a lot of the inside scoop Um, so I'm kind of like you guys in that regard but I would expect so. You know, obviously it gave us an opportunity against the top-ranked team in the country to come out with a W. It was effective. Peyton Thorne, I think, actually showed people, you know, that he can do that. And so that's something that I would expect to see more of. Also putting it on tape, you know, obviously that's something that other defenses and teams are going to have to worry about, Um, seeing how effective it was against, you know, Georgia and their defense. And so it wouldn't surprise me if we saw more of it.
1: Alright, so we got a question from one of our listeners earlier today. I'll throw it at you and see what you can do with it. Uh, he asked why can't Thorne see the edge pressure? He said it's obvious they're sending an edge blitz and he doesn't shift the protection or call a hot route or check the ball down. Does Freeze not give that leeway to change that at the line? Do you have any insight into that?
3: Well, I don't know about, you know, Coach Freeze and, you know, Peyton's interactions or conversations. Um, Obviously, we know Hugh Freeze's track record with quarterbacks and what he's been able to do, um, but also part of his ability. And then you look at, you know, in the game, in the heat of the moment, you see things 100% differently when you're sitting in the stands looking down at the stadium versus being there and being in the moment and guys moving around, having a million things running through your head as a quarterback, getting everybody lined up, getting the snap count, making sure that you're watching the play clock. You know, it's a lot of things you see in the adjustments that the defense are making. It's a lot that goes into that moment that I think a lot of times we don't give these young men credit for and being able to make split season, split second decisions. Um, you know, and sometimes it's a cat and mouse game between the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. So when you think about all of those things in the mix of, or probably about round five seconds, that's a lot that goes into it. And so, you know, also trying to be on the same page with your offensive line. You know, seeing what their shifts are, what their uh, changes are, their checks are to who they're going to block, which man they're going to leave um, free. It's a lot that goes into that, you know, and that's just something that comes with time and experience. And the more experience he gets, um, the more I'm sure he'll understand that and hopefully improve in that area.
2: Ronnie, I'd love to see Auburn get over 100 yards passing. I think, fought, what, six straight games now against Power Five. They've been under 100 yards. I would have liked to have seen a little more vertical. However, and I want to get your take on this, it appeared to me that the game plan was to shorten the game, run the football, keep the clock running, and not give Georgia as much time and somehow get into that fourth quarter with a chance to win, which they did have a chance to win. Was that pretty much the way you concluded their game plan?
3: Yeah, I think when you look at it, obviously we don't have, you know, I think it's the adjustment that we've made. You've got a first-year coach trying to get used to talent and vice versa, talent trying to get used to a new coach. Um, and so there are changes to being made. And so, I mean – you're looking at that being, like I said, 14 and a half point underdog. Nobody expected Auburn football to go in there and try to go toe for toe um, with the defending national champion. That's just a tall task, um, you know. And it probably would have put us in the in a worse situation. So, when you look at it from a coaching perspective and strategy, what gives us the best opportunity to win the game? So we were able to run the ball effectively. They did a really good job of controlling that. Obviously, you know the new rule with the play clock or the game clock not stopping, so that gives you a better chance. And so when you look at that, yeah, like we could always say, "Hey, wish we would have seen more of this, or had we done this," you know after the game, you know, and I think that's one of the things that you can do. But, you know, in the heat of the battle it's like, okay, what can we do in this moment to give ourselves, you know, the best chance and opportunity to win the game. I think Auburn did that as good as they could have coming off the loss from Texas A and M. No one expected them to be in that position. Um and so to give that hope to the fan base and to the guys I think that means the strategy and the plan was effective. Um, Yeah, could it have been more? Yeah, there could always be more. You could have done something differently. You know, I've had that conversation with, you know, some of my friends here in Georgia um, over the weekend. They're talking about Brock Bowling. I'm like, hey, man, he's probably. not only the top tight end in the country, but he's probably one of the top players in the whole country. And so, you know, it's only a matter of time when guys like that that have that much talent are going to start making plays. He made some great one-handed catches. We bracketed him early in the game. I think he saw some things. Um, they made some adjustments. He figured out some areas where he can get into, and he was effective. So, you know, I think there's always what-ifs or ifs we ha- if we had have done these things. Um, but I think giving the result you know, I think the strategy was effective as it could be.
2: You answered my next question kind of. I was going to ask you about Brock Bowers because it appeared in the fourth quarter that he was left uncovered on some of those throws by Carson Beck. Was that the case? or did, I, I would have thought maybe Auburn would have tried to double-team him because he's so good.
3: Well, I think they were doing some things. I think when you look at the uh, – The game, I think the first quarter, first half, he had about nine yards reception, uh, nine receiving yards. Um, But, you know, it's like saying, okay, like we kept Michael Jordan scoreless in the first game, not to compare, obviously, Brock Bowers with Michael Jordan. But when you're talking about players of that magnitude who are that important to their team, the goal is to get those guys involved because that gives you the best chance of winning. So first half did a really good job. Second half, um, you know, That's one of the things that happens. You go in at the half, people make adjustments. You try to figure out windows, as talented as the guy he is. You know, you want to make sure you keep a guy on top of him, kept a guy on top of him, but then also now you got to look at the intermediate routes, like looking at between the hashes, which, you know, second half, that's where he was probably most effective at. He ran a corner ball. He ran some digs. And so it's like, okay, well, pick your poison. What do you take away? Because you can't take away everything from a guy like that. And so you try to make those adjustments and hope that your guys can make a play. You try to call the right defenses, but – You know, I think strategy is part of it, but then carrying out that plan is the other part of it. He beat us, and I think he did some—he did a better job in certain instances, you know, of making plays when plays needed to be made. He had a couple contested catches that he just made great plays, and so you could, at some point, you have to take your hat off and you know tip it to the the young man for saying, "Hey, man, you just beat me on that play," Um, and that happened.
2: Let me ask you this, Ronnie. Ronnie Brown is the sideline reporter, the great running back from Auburn, sideline report on the Auburn Radio Network. Some of the commentators, again, were saying that on some of the throws by Thorne, that the passes were right there, but the receivers were not making the catch. And they pointed out in a game like that, you've got to make catches like that. They were pointing the finger at the receivers, more so the quarterback. I think he completed about 11 out of 19 or something like that. How did you, uh, without trying to point fingers at any individual. Was it more on the receivers or the quarterback for the throws that were missed?
3: Well, I mean, I think it, it's both. You know, I think when you go in and you re, you look at them and you reassess yourself um, or you assess yourself and say, hey, what could we have done better? What are the things that we did okay? Um, everyone has to point the fingers themselves. Obviously, the quarterback throws the ball, receivers catch the ball, offensive line, running back, different people block. And so, this is the the ultimate team sport um and it's everyone's accountability we win together we lose together um and so when you look at that yeah you would love your receivers to make some contested catches absolutely when you get opportunities on this in this level um you have to make those plays but also you know at certain points you know, you get your quarterback to, I'm sure he has a couple of throws. He'd love to have back, you know, some of those back shoulders. And I think there were opportunities there, but you got to give your guys an opportunity to catch the ball. So I think it's, it's a mixture of both. Yes, yeah, easy to point the finger in that moment. and say on this play, it was his fault, or on that play, it was their fault. But, you know, looking into it, I promise you, no one goes into it saying, I don't want to be the guy to make the play. It's actually the opposite of that. Everyone wants to be the guy to make a play in that type of game against, you know, the defending national champion, the number one team in the country, everyone's trying to make a play. So nobody's not trying to, but it's just, you know, things have to go in your favor. You have to make some of those catches. We had one opportunity, uh, I think, on the sideline where it was a, a – a, third and long maybe and it's just, the young man came down and you know the guy punched the ball out it was a great defensive play and so sometimes those things happen um you know and it's just it's just how the game flows unfortunately
2: maybe they should try simpson at wide receiver <laughs> it was quite a play he made when he took it away from the uh, georgia receiver yeah, they, that, was I mean, that was emphasized
3: you know that and that's a That's an awesome play. You look at the receiver. That young man's a really good receiver as well. Um, You know, for him to jump that route, to read it, trust his eyes, trust what he's done all week, um, trusting his STEM study, um, he made a great play. But you need a few of those. And every now and then you say, hey, we need a guy to make a great play. Coming down the stretch, Rock Bowers made a few of those, but early in the game, you know, we were doing that. You got Marcus Harris who, you know, causes that first fumble. And so, you know, there were things that, you know, need to go your way. Obviously that was an effort play. He's playing D line, playing, you know, D tackle, nose tackle or whatever, and, you know, he's running back seven yards after catch punches the ball out. And so, you know, you need more of those against teams like that and you need certain things to fall in your way. The young man, you know, from Georgia, he fumbles the the uh, punt return, unfortunately, the ball bounced back to him. He falls on it, and, you know, that was successful. And then you look at Georgia as well. They had a couple 90-plus-yard drives. Um, you know, that was something that you just have to tip your hat to. They made some plays when they needed to. Um, you know, and it's that's just the flow of the game. I think our crowd – actually gave us a really good opportunity they were loud they supported and so you know it's just you know it's trying to figure out who's going to make the most plays and put themselves in that position you know to win that game
1: ronnie great stuff man always appreciate you coming aboard uh have a great week and we hope to have you on again soon
3: all right thank you i appreciate it
1: that's ronnie brown ladies and gentlemen sideline reporter for the auburn uh sports network when we come back uh we'll uh, mention our team of the day we'll get your thoughts on a number of issues Hour number three is just packed. John Richadon Mill at Golf Report. Our good friend, Craig Stevenson, he's my colleague over at AL.com. He covers the Jags. We'll find out what went wrong for South Alabama. And Mike Rodak will join us to talk Alabama at 8.30. So hang with us. Plenty left here on a Monday edition. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports
7: Station WNSP. (laughs) Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP.
1: welcome back in wrapping up our number two here on a monday edition of the opening kickoff mark lee and braun are all with you in the studios of wnsp hey a tip of the cap to wnsp's team of the day a presley roofing mobiles family-owned roofing company since 1949 our good friend george spurlock with presley roofing joins us here on wnsp good morning george how are you
7: great mark how you doing this morning
1: i'm great man so you guys do it all i know we're right in the middle of that season that's football and hurricane season you guys do a lot of preventative stuff you guys are always on call tell everybody why they need to call you guys at presley roofing
7: yeah well you know we've really worked very hard to kind of become a member of the family for many of our customers you know we You have a, maybe you may have a lawyer that you always call when you need, we need that and, uh, you know, or whatever services that you may need throughout uh, your life. And and we just want to be, you know, the roofing company that you call when you you need someone because you know that we'll be there, we'll take care of you, we'll be fair and honest and, uh, you know, really just make sure that you're taken care of from the top down.
1: All right, George, I know every, even the most well-maintained uh, roofs need to be replaced eventually. What are some signs that people need to look for, or do they just call you and you guys come out and check it out?
7: Well, it can be a combination of those two. A lot of times you'll start to see the, the bottom edges of the shingles become shiny, which means the granules are starting to fall off. You'll see those granules maybe come out through your gutter or on your sidewalk or on your driveway um, but certainly, you know, certainly give us a call and we can come out and take a look at everything and just give you an honest assessment of your roof. That way, you know maybe what you're facing in, in the in the months or or a couple of years to come.
1: All right, he's George Spurlock, Presley Roofing. Visit the website presleyroofinginc.com. You guys do free estimates. You do a lot of preventative measures. Tell and you specifically talk to everybody that calls. So tell everybody what's the best way to contact you guys.
7: Yeah, as always, call Samantha at the office. She takes great care of our customers, 251-457-6598.
1: Hey, George, we appreciate you coming aboard. Have a great week. Thanks, you too. That's George Spurlock, Presley Roofing, WNSP's team of the day. Check them out at presleyroofinginc.com. They do it all. And uh, they can certainly get to you uh, in a very efficient manner. Re- uh, re-roofing, roof repair, commercial roofing, residential roofing, you name it. Uh, Presley Roofing has it covered. You guys can jump in here. We got some time. 694-1055. Uh, if you want to jump in on Alabama's win, uh, Auburn and Georgia. Uh, we've talked a lot about Duke and Notre Dame, obviously, uh, with uh, Riley Leonard there. High ankle sprain. Expected to miss a few weeks Um we we've uh, we've kind of talked a little bit about everything
2: you know when you talk about impressive wins i think you'd have to put alabama right up there as far as the the distance between them and their opponent you know playing on the road and and winning like 40 to to seven, to whatever it turned out 17 was it 40 to 17 yeah. or something like that i mean when you look at some of the other games and you know there's a lot of parity in college uh, football these days you look at like even southern cal had that big lead in colorado came back and actually had they recovered the onside kick would have had a chance to maybe tie the game didn't turn out that way but at least they were competitive but in most of the games they were you know within let's say a fourth quarter even with georgia struggling to beat auburn the alabama win uh to me along with the kentucky win over florida uh you'd look at those wins as
1: you know kind of dominant uh i think I think you found out just, and I don't want to take. I'm. I'm this is gonna come out wrong, and I know everybody's gonna jump on me. I Mississippi State's not very good, that. Uh, so I would say the Kentucky, the Kentucky win. Sir, I know Florida's not very good, but I think Kentucky's win was more impressive. I do like the fact that Alabama asserted its dominance. I think the bigger story here with Alabama is you got old Nick Saban back, and he was sorely missed. The whole idea of patting these guys on the butt and telling them everything's going to be okay, just keep working hard, wasn't working. Old school Nick Saban reared his ugly head and lit a fire. He talked about how Miss Terry told him to get on him if they're not playing well, and so he got on him. He mentioned it in the halftime uh, uh, interview. Uh, he was asked why the offensive line started playing better, and just see me get on him. Uh, maybe, maybe that's why. You can figure it out. I just thought that's the kind of fire you need from your head coach, and I think the players will take you, that and run with it. Are you buying that? It? it was Miss Terry
2: who told him. No. I'm not, but I was like, it's a good line. But uh, yeah, it was good to see the the fiery Nick Saban on the sideline. Uh, and again it goes back old school football you you control the line of scrimmage you run and play top-notch defense and that's what Alabama did and that's what Kentucky did yeah uh you had the games where they're throwing passes all around old Miss LSU and you look what happened there a sh- old-fashioned shootout as was the Southern Cal Colorado game you go back to Duke and uh Notre Dame and there you had the uh, you know defense dominated game
1: let's ask Bronner over here you're you're a big Alabama guy pumped to see Saban kind of get after it or oh, yeah, indifferent it was, to it? it
4: was fantastic to see I mean obviously it's been uh a softer Nick Saban also yeah. really for you know the better part of three years now I can't remember the last you know blow up from him and you know even up 20 points in the fourth quarter he's still yelling it was it was great to see and uh he yeah he's made the miss Terry comment after the game and again I like I said I don't think this team is spectacular by any means but you know 12 to tw- between 12 and 20 passes a game for Millrow. run the ball well play good defense lsu's already got two losses who knows question that came up on game day
2: which conference has a better chance to get two teams into the college football playoff 12 sec or Pac 12
4: 12 100 percent
2: i'm not i again i it looks that way now Things can change in the next eight or nine weeks. We saw a Utah guy beat the other day. And if they start beating up on each other, and if Alabama continues to win and can get into that championship yeah. game with no more losses, there's hope.
4: Yes, yeah, so the only way it happens for the SEC, obviously, would be Alabama getting to Atlanta with no losses, no more losses in the regular yeah. season, and Georgia going 12-0, and and then Alabama winning the SEC championship. At that point, both teams would have to be in. But I don't know. Right as of right now, who you kick out? I believe Washington and Oregon play here, not next week, See, but the following week. What's going to happen? Is they're going to start beating
2: up on each other? And and Southern Cal, as offense as prolific offensive as they are, they have a very leaky defense.
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think that Georgia is the same team they were at the same time. I don't know. But they're going to get better I don't because know of Carson. The they're going to get they're going to get better because the more
2: confidence Carson Beck gets and to go on the road like he did and it was brought out, and never having played the game, so I have to take it from the people who've done this for him to go there before eighty eight thousand and do what he did and and help them get that win late in the game. Of course, it, it helps when you have a guy like Brock Bowers to catch passes for you, and also McConkey was back there also helping out. So I think they're just going to get better and better. They're a tough team to score on. So.
1: I'm looking at the rest of Georgia's schedule, Michael. Kentucky, Vandy, Florida, and Missouri. But things get interesting there at the end. Ole Miss, Mm. right? And then Tennessee. I think Tennessee kind of is not
4: good. Joe Milton, for all that we hyped him up, it's not good, right? Uh, but, so,
1: but it is a road game. You kind of have to circle that Ole Miss game a yeah, little bit. I think Ju- more so than Tennessee. Just after what we saw last uh, on Saturday, I mean, if they just want to get into a track meet, as good as Bowers is, he's not that good. He can't. Georgia can't put up. Now that I've said they can't put up fifty-five, watch them put up like sixty. They, they certainly can. Yeah, um, but we haven't. We haven't really. I mean, if they get into a shootout, do we? Trust- don't you give the the I think you have to give the advantage to the Ole Miss offense right. over a Georgia offense to get into a track do meet, we, right? Do we trust Lane Kiffin in a huge, huge game though, I mean, if it comes down to that? I, I think you could argue that this game
4: against LSU is probably. It the wasn't biggest win.
2: hyped, but it wasn't hyped as a you know one wow. of the major games, or even though I, we like we like to think it was, but it really wasn't hyped as one of the big, big games. And and I don't
4: know how great LSU is, but uh, that was that was a signature Lane Kiffin win at Ole Miss, probably the biggest of his career so far at Ole Miss.
2: All right, hour number two's in the books. Here Only comes... Cost him a million dollars. Or not a hundred. I'm sorry,
1: a hundred thousand. Ah, he'll live. hundred thousand. Money well spent. Yeah. All right, John Ricchetti's next. All hell broke loose at the Ryder Cup.
0: This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, one hundred five point five FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Chevanian, and Michael Bronner. The opening, kickoff. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael.
1: number three here on a Monday. Thanks for hanging with us. It's the opening kickoff. Some of the headlines. Eagles,
2: 49ers remain undefeated. Uh, Panthers still winless. So are the Bears. Saints lost to Tampa. Uh, Duke quarterback Riley Leonard diagnosed with a high ankle sprain. If you saw the game, you saw him go down late in the fourth quarter after a strip sack. He was sent to the sidelines. Notre Dame won that game. Alabama 11th in the AP poll. 10th in the coaches poll. And then uh, we had golf, and that's why we need John Ricchetti to tell us, give us the sad, sad story of how Europe dominated the U.S. Johnny, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today?
8: Well, uh, I'm doing great, guys. I guess at the end of the day, it's just let's give credit where credit is due. And the Europeans just outplayed the Americans plain and simple. You know, their top players uh, performed. You look at the record of uh, McElroy, Rome, and Victor Hovland. I think they were nine, two, and three, or something like that. Like a, a great, prominent performance, and we only, you know, we only had one out of twelve players with a winning record uh, at the Ryder Cup, and that was Max Homa. And the rest of them, uh, a few guys got I grade them C's and mostly D's and F's as far as the American performance by. Uh, our team but at the end of the day it's tough it's hostile i talked to people yesterday and it's a really tough tough feat to go on a on a different you know on your home course or home country to play it's really tough to win it's evident you look at the last uh five or so Ryder cups that you know the home team has ended up winning so Uh, It's going to be pretty interesting to see what happens at Bethpage Black in 2025. My sources are telling me that Tiger Woods will be named the the Ryder Cup captain for 2025. So we'll wait to see how that will be pretty ruckus with Tiger there at Bethpage Black in New York. But other than that, guys, I just think um, they played great. Even though the Americans did mount uh, some sort of a comeback yesterday, uh, was a little dicey at moments. I guess made for television, but at the end of the day, it was just a hurdle it was just too big to overcome, and the Europeans claim the Ryder Cup again.
2: All right, let me ask you this: uh, the critics are saying that Luke Donald, the coach for Europe, clearly outclassed Zach Johnson, the coach for the U.S. How in golf in the Ryder Cup, how does that happen? That uh, he's given a lot of credit for coaching him.
8: Well, first of all, uh, you know, the, you got to send these guys out to play. I mean, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you got to send them out. You're not hitting the shots for them. But, I mean, you know, Luke Donald, he set the golf course up because the home team captain has the to set it up. He's seen a lot of drivable par fours. Uh, the speed of the greens weren't quite as up to the speed of the American speed that the guys are used to playing on, on tour all the time. Uh, you know, 12 of their guys played in the BMW Championship just a week or so ago. Uh, they were all in the field. Uh, so nine out of 12 American players hadn't played since the Tour Championship, which is a probably a month away. So, a lot of, you know, a lot of things go in, but uh, you can say what you want. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I'm one of those guys that the guys got to go up there to hit the shots. But, there's, you know, whether you say – why would you sit a guy like Brooks Kepka out first ma you know, first session off? He's one of your top four or five players. He should be out there. You can always second guess yourself, but you know, they just they just flat out beat us. They just wanted it more. We had too many you know, you have you look at uh Jordan Speep hasn't been playing. He's had just had a newborn baby. Uh Patrick Cantley's getting married today or possibly he's already been married. Uh, today he was getting married in Rome. And you know, I guess, you know, he's out there playing. I mean that's got a weigh on your mind, uh you know you're getting married on monday you got you're in a rider cup uh just so many so many things they hadn't played any golf. the team hasn't played much golf, so just a lot of things going against them but the end of the day the Europeans are just too tough
1: yeah and then you, you, you got the whole like Justin Thomas with taunting with the the fake hat tip the whole the whole hat uh, thing I mean you just you yeah, had a lot of a lot of noise going on this year I mean it was great drama but it certainly didn't help the Americans at all
8: nah and you know and yeah Mark you're right, you're right. a lot of that noise created by the Americans I mean uh you know I didn't even look just back to this hat situation with Patrick Cantley, okay? yeah, yeah. I mean I'm not there. I didn't talk to the guy. I didn't see. But my whole thing is this: he claims that the hat didn't fit. <laughs> the amount of money. I mean, okay. The amount of money that they spend outfitting teams. Okay. You know what I mean? They like they all clothes and they, got, they wear every day from the, the time they get on the plane wearing Ryder Cup's track suits and sweaters and hoodies and whatever you want to. They leave that place. It's all been fitted. So my whole point is, okay, they got a hat. This company's making your hat. I mean, you knew months and months ago that that hat might not fit you properly. So yeah. why did you tell them to make you another a hat with that that would fit properly? It's <laughs> stupid. Uh, you know, it's, I, I don't. I don't. I agree. I just don't get it. Yeah, but maybe it didn't fit. And you know, the, I don't know. I'm not there.
1: And then the whole Rory thing, right? And the whole altercation with the with the with the uh, cat. Yeah, I mean it's just crazy. Yeah, I mean it's awesome.
8: Yeah, I know, I know. It's unbelievable because they're all friends too. I, they're just, I don't know. So I, I can go on this. And Joe Lakava a really good guy, well respected by everybody. Everybody loves the guy. I just gotta think that something was said underneath something somebody's breath. Yeah, that triggered. That you know that European because Rory knows them extremely well. You know he's Tiger's buddy. They're down there. He's always hanging out with those guys. Uh, Lacava's always with McElroy and kept and all these guys down in South Florida and uh, Woods. I just got to say that somebody uttered something out of somebody's breath under their breath that triggered them to be that upset because Rory was. You know, in the parking lot, you know Shane Lowry had to reframe him, threw him in the car to get yeah. out of here. Yeah. You know, before it got escalated, and he was in a tidbit with Bones Mackay. Yeah, it just wasn't very, it just wasn't very yeah. good. But at the end of the day, the Europeans win.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, you're certainly not shortening storylines, man. Where are you going to be tonight? We're going to be at Terry Thompson's. Sher- uh, excuse me. We're going to
8: Felix's Fish Camp tonight at six o'clock. So it's going to be a uh, obviously a great lot, yeah. lot, a lot to talk about. So. We'll keep an eye on this. I'm sure a little more tidbits will be coming out in the next few days on exactly what the situation, what happened.
1: Yep. Hey, man. Thanks. We enjoyed it. Uh, have a good show tonight. All right, guys. Have a great week. All right. Here's 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 controversy for you. Golf should just turn into a team sport. After this weekend, how much more fun would golf be if we just did like team sport? These guys were going after each other, man. They were mocking each other with the hats, and they got into it at the, you know, the valet and the whole thing. This was this was a great weekend of golf, and I know we don't talk a lot about it because we're in the midst of a football season, but it was awesome. Also, what made it difficult too
2: was when they were playing, like it was in the middle of the night. In other words, if you wanted to watch it, you'd have to be up at like one or two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I wasn't getting up. Well, I was just getting up, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that back. But I didn't really get a chance. See, I, I didn't get a chance to watch much of this. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't follow this team play as how they, you know, the four ball and things like that. I understand it, but I, I'm so used to the other way of, you know, individual out there on the course uh rider cup has a lot of interest but we just do not play well off u.s soil that's what 30 years now and seven straight losses and 30 years without a win so uh and, and it got off to a terrible terrible start on friday
1: all right well more breaking news lebron james putting together a redeem team he's going to lead the next Ryder cup to victory he's going to get Steph and clay just and, make and all, sure all the hats guys. fit right yep. just
2: make sure the hats fit Indeed. So all Johnny's right. giving us all this stuff about, well, okay, um, you got a guy who's getting married. You got this going on. You got this going on. Shouldn't these be taken into consideration when you're putting together a team?
1: Or if you're putting – yes, of course. And if you're on the Ryder Cup and you know you're getting yeah. married, maybe either decline the invitation or push the wedding exactly. back. Exactly. That, that's like – you can't use those as excuses. Yeah. Good times. But, yeah, the hat didn't fit. Is hilarious. Uh, All right. Let's do this. Scoreboard traffic and weather. What's up with the Jags, man? Making it tough. I mean, we knew they had a... Yeah, we knew. You and I called this one correctly.
2: We knew it was going to be tough up there. We knew it was tough to run against them. I don't believe in moral victories, and I'm sure the Jags don't. But at least they made it competitive because James Madison just flew out immediately in that game. And then the Jags did get back make it close
1: well our good friend craig stevenson he covers south for al.com he's gonna he's gonna put it all in perspective for us i have no doubt he's up next right after our scoreboard traffic and weather stay with us
6: hi this is dan jennings with the washington nationals and you're listening to wnsp sports radio 105.5
1: 22 welcome back in the opening kickoff on a very busy monday edition uh we are thankful to have our next guest join us here mr shirvan yeah we
2: are and i do want to mention that south alabama's football team on the road this saturday home on the 17th you can get your tickets at usajaguars.com tickets craig stevenson ale.com covers south alabama craig good morning and welcome to the show this morning how are you doing
5: All doing well. Thanks for having
2: me. All right, what do we take away from the Jags' performance? Their second straight loss now, now a record of two and three.
5: That's a good question. I mean, one, I will say James Madison is really good. I think they're the best team in the Sun Belt that I have seen this year. Their defensive front in particular is, is, I would say, you know, like lower-level SEC caliber. I mean, you could put them on Kentucky or or Mississippi State or somebody like that, and and they would they would be able to compete. I think they're that good defensively. That said, disappointing for the Jags. Really bad start. It was very similar to the two lane game where they just kind of uh, I don't know about came out flat, but really just did not play well early in the game offensively or defensively. Gave up a couple of big plays and got in a hole. And you know, big picture wise, though you're starting to wonder if the Oklahoma State win where they went up there and just completely dominated is the outlier now because this is, you know, four out of five where they have not played particularly well. They got off to a good start against Central Michigan but fell apart late in the game, Southeastern Louisiana. They didn't play great early against a, uh, you know, less talented team. And it makes you wonder – uh, what's happening? Uh, there were big expectations for this team. They had about just about everybody back from last year. But I will say they have had some key injuries. I think Devin Boyce, in particular, was a huge loss. He was, you know, the best receiver, probably. Uh, you know, Carter Bradley's security blanket when they really got in trouble. And he doesn't have him anymore. Brother McReynolds was a guy that was a big playmaker. Uh, Josh McCulloch has missed a couple of weeks. Although I think they, uh, the offensive tackle, although they expect him to be back. And then Keith Gallman's been gone most of the year too. Uh, for the second straight year on the defensive side. Just, you know, a lot of veteran guys there without. But that said, you know, they should be no worse than three and two right now, I would say. So
1: uh, take us prior to kickoff. Yeah. Who's in charge of the travel director of ops there? And do we need to find some? what, what, What happened? All hell broke loose.
5: Yeah, I don't know exactly. It uh they were late getting there. Um uh, it's a weird setup because of they had to fl- they flew into Charlottesville, which is about 40 miles away. University of Virginia is there, stayed in Charlottesville, and because of um the I-, I think it had something to do with the airport. The airport in Harrisonburg was not big enough to accommodate the team plane, so they had to fly into Charlottesville. And even though it- even though it's I think as the crow flies, it's about 40 miles, but because of the terrain up there, you have to drive around the mountain. So you have to go, <laughs> you know, the interstate doesn't go straight through. I mean, literally. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm serious about that. And so I think once they got uh, closer to Harrisonburg, there was, you know, either construction or traffic on the interstate. And yeah, it was not good. They got there about 30 minutes late, but. I don't know if that's an excuse for anything. And on Friday, I think there were some some travel difficulties, again, that were unavoidable because of uh, weather in in other parts of the country. Has anybody who has flown in the last couple of years knows it can be really uh, a pain. And I think they
2: have some of those difficulties. But well. they do charter, right, for football. They still do, yeah, right? I, yeah,
5: and I, I, you know, and I,
2: when I used to travel with the team and, you know, we'd always leave a day early and, you know, you wouldn't be right in the, the city or the town where the school was. You might be an hour away. I remember one time the bus broke down on the way, to one of the game. So uh, th- these things do happen. I, I But, wh- but yeah. again, though, we go back. We had talked about this, the difficulty of running the football against James Madison, and you're right about that uh, yeah. defensive front. So with that pretty much taking away, what did the Jags, what were their options then?
5: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, they did try to run the ball early, and it just did not work. I mean, you know. They were able to, to loosen James Madison up and throw the ball a little bit late in the game. Uh, Colin Lacey was pretty bottled up most of the day, but he did have a couple of big catches late. Uh, Jamal Pritchett had a nice game, um, and uh, they were able to get the ball to the backs and the tight ends and that sort of thing. And, you know, James Madison really, you know, they almost kind of gave the game away. I mean, you know, they did something similar, James Madison, against Utah State the previous week. I think they are up 24 uh, nothing and ended up winning 45-38. So it was uh, – it was – that's kind of how this game went. There just was not enough time left. James Madison didn't make one big play in the fourth quarter where they got the ball out to the tight end. Um, you know, there was there were three or four, if you count one on, on the other side of the ball, big plays where one, it was a coverage bust, and two, uh, they just didn't tackle well. Then they had a pick six. Um, James Madison did a good job of getting their hands in the passing lanes and batting down balls, and one, they batted down and ended up being an interception. So. Yeah, I mean, that's what Dan Patterson does. They make you one-dimensional. Um, and, I, you know, the Devs did have some, some success uh, offensively and defensively in the second half. But I think they just got – you know, they got down 17 nothing. They got down 24-7, and it was just too much to come back for
1: He's Craig Stevenson. He covers South Alabama for AL.com. You can follow him on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it, at Craig Stevenson. That's C-R-E-G. That's an important distinction. All right, we only got about 30 seconds left here, Craig. Um, yeah. Walk South fans off the ledge. Is this a good football team?
5: Uh, I think it's a good Sun Belt team. I, I, you know, I, I think the expectations were higher than the way they produced. You know, this game at ULM this week will really tell the tale because they have not played well over there. It's a weird place. They don't draw very big crowds, uh, and you kind of have to bring your own energy. So the Jags are going to have to do that for sure.
1: Hey, great having you back on, man. It's been too long. I uh, hope right. you're doing well, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thank you. Yep. Craig Stevenson, ladies and gentlemen, AL.com. Ten win season last year, two and
2: three. Yeah, and I'm not taking anything away from last year, but I don't think they played the likes of James Madison and Marshall last year, two of the better teams in the Sun Belt. And I think
1: they still have Marshall on their schedule. Well, that doesn't bode well. Alright, we come back, we talk Alabama. Mike Rodak will join us next right here on the sports station, WNSP.
5: ...pretty on... ESPN Plus on the app. Milroe going to run it again. Got a lane. Kicked in the turbo. Milrow.
0: Goodbye. Touchdown Bama.
1: 832. Jalen Milrow doing Jalen Milroe things. Welcome back in the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee and Braun are all in the studios at WNSP. All right. And speaking about doing
2: things, Mike Rodak. Uh, he does things for us. He covers Alabama. And we're glad to have him on. Mike welcome aboard good morning how are you today
10: doing well good morning to you
2: let me identify 24 7 Mike Rodak all right Jalen Milrow do you ever think you'd go into a game and only throw 12 passes and come away with a resounding win
10: yeah actually I think that's uh that's probably going into this year kind of what I expected um you know the I would even say like 10 to 15 runs and 10 to 15 passes and Throwing for 150 yards, and that was kind of what I pictured, you know, him doing this year, kind of based on what we had seen going into the year. And I think he actually probably exceeded that, you know, Middle Tennessee State, especially. But um, you know, he threw decently well against Texas, other than the interceptions. You know, threw good in the second half against Ole Miss, and um, has kind of actually been a little bit more of a passer than I would have expected. So this kind of swung the pendulum back towards um, kind of where the initial um prediction was but it uh it's i want to say it's what they need to do to win because i think you know they, they've they shown they can win with him throwing a little bit more than that but i think it's probably the best formula for them um to minimize any sort of game-breaking interceptions that you know he's, he's shown to have um he obviously did that pretty well and you kind of maximize his legs but not turn into a one-dimensional offense either where you're just running, you know, with quarterback runs all the time or, you know, running the option or something like that. So it's, I want to say it's a sweet spot, but it's, I think it's closer to what they need to do. And how far does that take them? We'll have to see. Uh, But this is, I think this is probably the identity that they need to have for the second half of the season.
1: So uh, Nick Saban came out of a shell a little bit over the weekend.
10: Yeah, he uh, he's feeling himself <laughs> a little bit more, I would say. Uh, but they reacted. You know, sometimes,
1: yeah. He, I'm sorry, I, 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 I we're joking, but my point all day was they reacted the way you you wanted that team to react, and so to have big, bad Saban back on the sideline, I think bodes well for this team.
10: Yeah, I think it's, you know, a case of when the team's playing poorly, which, you know, obviously they were for a couple weeks stretched there, um, up until the second half of the Ole Miss game, he treats things a certain way, which is actually very positive, very calm, very reassuring, kind of what we talked about last week. And um, I think maybe once you reestablish some sort of stability and uh, kind of that baseline among your team, then you can kind of focus on, you know, fixing some of the, the things that aren't perfect, um, whereas those things probably took a, a, a back seat to just, you know, playing even decently well. Uh, the last couple weeks. so, um yeah, you know it's I think the confidence that he has in his players is up a little bit. You know that their confidence is up, and this is kind of closer to normal um, from what we expect from him. Um, you know does it mean he's gonna be the same way this week? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was uh, he's he's feeling himself a little bit. You can tell he's he's kind of back in the groove a little bit um as far as of what we expect from Nick Saban.
2: So, Mike, at the press conference today, does Nick Saban start out by saying, Miss Terry told me to tell you?
10: <laughs> no, I yeah, – I, yeah, I was in the room, obviously, in Starkville when he said that. And I, it kind of came off as, like, he didn't really know how to answer the question, because so I think it was – you know, the question was something along the lines of, like, it seems like basically what you just asked, that you weren't quite as calm, that you are a little bit fiery on the sideline, you know, when things – Especially with the defense, like he wasn't happy with the defense giving up the, the two long drives in the second half. Um, even his halftime interview, he was talking about how they weren't stopping to run well enough and kind of focusing on the, the negative or what they weren't doing quite as well, even though they had a big lead. Um, and so that was basically what he was asked after the game. And I don't think he really had an answer. Like, I think he just kind of came up with that in the moment. And Miss Terry's usually in the room so uh, for these road games, these road press conferences. So. I think that's just kind of what popped into his head. You know, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Um, but I think it's just kind of what he went with.
2: Will Rogers is on the verge of becoming the all-time SEC passing leader. But for whatever reasons, he has some of his worst games against Alabama. What does Alabama do on defense that makes it so difficult for him?
10: Uh, I mean, it's it's been kind of two different stories there. I, you know, I think part of his numbers is playing Mike Leach's offense for – three years, um, you know, 2020 through last year and, you know, you're going to be throwing the ball, I think you threw the ball like 70 times, um, or close to it, 60 times against Alabama last year. Um, so it, you know, having that many throws, I think your, your yardage is naturally going to be high. Um, but you know, Alabama, I think really figured out Leach's offense in terms of it's very, you kind of get what you get. Like it's, it's a lot of two by two, um, you know, you're going to be in a shotgun, four wide receivers, two on the left, two on the right. You're running a password every time, and it's just kind of different combinations of passwords that they ran. Obviously, it's different now um, with what they have under the new coordinator from App State, um, and yeah, even then, like Alabama was focused on stopping the pass on Saturday night. So Mississippi State ran the ball pretty well. Um, Alabama wasn't expecting them to run quite as much as they did, but when they did throw. You know, I think it's, A, personnel. Like, I think Cooley McKinstry and Tara and Arnold and Caleb Downs, and those guys are just better than the Mississippi State wide receivers. Um, but what exactly schematically, you know, they were doing, it's hard to say. I think there's just some bad throws, and it's, it's a better team on the other side of the ball. I think uh, that plays into it. Obviously, you know, you have a better quarterback, better receivers. Like Texas does, you know, we can kind of see uh, teams – throw against alabama a little bit better
1: but i do think this this alabama defense mike is is certainly improved since the beginning of the season and i would argue could is even playing championship caliber ball right i mean look what they did to Ole miss last week and look what Ole miss did this week against lsu i mean it's just crazy
10: yeah the Ole miss game is the the feather in their cap yeah. um and that's you know you i think you can middle tennessee was good like you know that's and that's another air raid offense. That's another four wide receivers. Like they, they figured that out pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, not a good quarterback. Like South Florida was a terrible offense. Like that, you know, they took care of that. Texas, like I said, obviously they they gave up what they did. So Ole Miss is really the game where you're like expectations versus outcome um, was was a lot more in Alabama's favor than any of the other games. So uh, that's that's the big one. Um, you know. Tennessee has a potential. LSU certainly has the potential. We saw them put up 600 yards against Ole Miss, um, 600 yes. something yards. So you know, there's there's still going to be some teams in your schedule that um, you know you're going to have to play and, and kind of prove yourselves. Kentucky um, is kind of a sneaky one. You know, Devin Leary. So you know, the good thing for Alabama is that right now they don't have to play a USC. They don't have to play a Washington, like the best offenses in college football this year are on the West Coast uh, in the Pac-12, so they don't have to worry about that. The SEC is a little bit down in terms of quarterback play, a little bit down in terms of offensive play outside of kind of LSU and Ole Miss, and um, we've seen half of that. So, yeah, it's I think it's a very good defense, but I've also said that at this point in past years, and especially after <laughs> Mississippi State games, it seems like that's always when confidence is really high and then like last year for instance mississippi state had played a great game come out the next game against lsu they lose or a couple weeks earlier the defense played a great game against texas a&m last year uh and then the next week they came out against texas and they lost so or against tennessee i mean and they lost so like i just reserve a little bit of judgment to see where things go because i think sometimes they they tend to regress a little bit.
2: Have they cut down on mistakes by penalties, turnovers, the things that really aggravate the coach? And obviously he did lose it on one play, but I'm talking about like those five-yard penalties and things like that. Did you notice that there was improvement?
10: Yeah, and in general, like their penalty numbers have been down this year in a good way. Um, Like in terms of number of penalties and penalty yards per game, they were among the worst in the country the last two seasons, not just last year. And they've been in the middle of the pack all year. I think it's really been the timing of the penalties and kind of the implications, and you know, having the five touchdowns called back, having the interception that um, Kool Aid had. I think it was in South Florida that was called back. Um, you know, that's it's it's kind of the meaning of them. Um, so you know, that's gotten better. I would say the last six quarters. I mean, that that touchdown was called back in the early third quarter against Ole Miss. Ever since then, they've kind of figured that out. Um, But there's still some penalties, like uh, there was that third down play against Mississippi State. They called it in the stadium. I I thought I heard 84. Amari Nyblad being called for a false start. I think they uh, scored it as 74, Caden Proctor. But there's a few false starts in there. J.C. Latham had that ineligible downfield penalty. So there's still things that you're like, "Eh." you know, you do this in a bigger game and a a more – significant circumstance it's really going to be a bigger story um so i don't think they've eliminated them by any means but the numbers the overall numbers and volume of penalties uh, are down uh
1: mike rodak is our guest here on wnsp you mentioned i black that's where i wanted to go he was incredible man that, that one in the back of the end zone i'm not so sure he didn't catch that i was kind of curious as to why it wasn't reviewed but man he i i thought with a few touches or a few targets he was he was impressive
10: yeah, to my eye, it looked like he was out of bounds on that one. Yeah, um, but he's he's athletic, he's long, he can make those kind of circus catches, uh, those contested catches where he's stretching his body out, um, and that's kind of what we've all known about Amari and I from the get go, from the time he was recruited, was he's a hybrid wide receiver tight end type. He's going to be their best receiving tight end. You can put him in the slot, um, you know, you can kind of throw the ball up to him, and he's going to make a play. And, you know, we've seen that. Of course, it's kind of been spotty. You know, there's, I think he was barely part of the offense last week against Ole Miss. And, you know, the big story with him is he still needs to block. And that's why Robbie Utes was in the game more, I would say, against Ole Miss, Robbie Utes and CJ Dupree, uh, because you could get more blocking out of them. And if you're trying to run the ball, that's going to be more important. But, um, you know, and I blocked out some more chances against Mississippi State and took advantage of them. It's just, there's been zero consistency from game to game on the wide receivers and the tight ends in terms of who's getting snaps, who's making the plays, who's getting catches, who's getting the targets. Like last week, we're all talking about Jalen Hale, a wide receiver. I don't think he got a single target uh, in this past game. So we're talking about Nyblock this week. He might not get a target against Texas A&M. That's just kind of been the story of the season. Um, they've had four tight ends. They've rotated through. They've had seven wide receivers. They've rotated through and, it's it's anybody's guess as to you know which one's going to do anything in any particular game.
6: Are
2: you going to attend the A and M game? Yes. Good, good, good. What are you looking? At? Give us a preview.
10: Yeah, I mean it's it's another backup quarterback, which we saw two years ago. Zach Calzada came in and was the hero, um, kind of out of nowhere, and um, that obviously was a big setback for Alabama that year. They still went to the national championship game. They can't afford that sort of thing this year, so it's. It's going to be a tougher environment, um, you know, road-wise than I'd say anything Jalen Millro's been a part of. Um, You know, the Arkansas game was probably the closest that he was in last year. Um, Obviously, Tampa was half Alabama fans this year. Mississippi State's kind of a smaller stadium. Everybody was gone by the second half. It was a late game. This is going to be different. This is 105,000 Kyle Field, you know, on a CBS game in the afternoon. Like, if they were having communication issues, which we saw it, first-hand, you know, with the, the bad snap from McLaughlin that um, he must have heard or thought he heard, you know, Joe Romero give the snap count or the cadence and hits him, the, you know, at the chest. They can't afford those sort of things against Texas A&M. So uh, that's the big part of it. But it's, it's also a question of what can Max Johnson do for a and I don't know if there's a huge difference between Connor Wagman and Max Johnson, um, but they – I mean, they have more athletes than um, kind of what Alabama's seen. I mean, outside of Texas, I'd say this is the most talented team they've played, and that's it's close even there uh, with Anaya Smith on offense. And uh, that Texas A&M front seven is really good as well. So um, it's uh, I mean, the Texas game was that's a top five team. That was at home. This is a borderline top 25 team on the road probably not quite as tough as the Texas game, but this is certainly up there, I'd say, in terms of difficulty of game. And again, one that that absolutely needs to win.
1: Mike, uh, as always, man, we appreciate the time. Tell folks how they can continue to follow your coverage of the Tide as they prepare for Jimbo.
10: Yeah, Bama247.com and on X at Mike Rodak.
1: There you go. Hey, man, have a great week. Thanks. You too. Thank you. That's Mike Rodak, ladies and gentlemen. All right, one final segment of the day. Who uh, who executed the best hit of the weekend? Would it be the LSU player that hit the Ole Miss fan, or would it be the security guard that got the Ole Miss sorority girl? Security guard. We're going to break it down next. We're going to break it down next. Right here on the sports station, WNSP. Hey, this is
5: Stuart Fink from the PGA Tour. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio in Mobile.
1: final segment of the day. Thanks for hanging with us. You guys can jump in at 694-1055. All right.
2: You know, it wasn't like old Miss beat a number one ranked team. I get it. I get it. But this has always been what I've said, that if you, if the fans flood, you're going to have instances. where it happens every single time. Somebody's going to get hit. Somebody's going to go down. Now the thing is, who do you hold accountable?
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised that they stormed the field. I mean, it was, it was a crazy game. So I guess emotions are running high. It's up and down the field. Uh, it was a dramatic ending, but it wasn't like you beat the number one ranked yeah, team. Yeah, I mean, LSU. I don't, and I'm not saying you know that's the
2: reason. I I don't know what's the atmosphere is on campus. Uh, I. Obviously, as you said, the emotions were running high because of the type of game it was, but most games are like that anyway, aren't they? I'm sure if Duke had uh, won, they would have stormed the field, although I don't know if they find teams in the ACC. It was pretty obvious they would have stormed the field also. But here's the deal. Somebody gets hit. I don't know how badly they were hurt. A couple people got hit. And then the thing is, who do you point a finger at? You mentioned the LSU player. Does he get does he does he wind up being at the short end of this? Do they uh, suspend him or anything like that because he knocked down a student who was, as you said, trashing him? And then you have that security guard out there. I'm, just I'm sorry. The he, security
1: guard, I have an, sorry, e- sorry, I have so a, funny. an official scouting report <laughs> it's like, it's like off a social media platform from a source that we know and trust. The, secu- the, the, the footage, the evaluation is... Zero lateral agility, noticeably short arms, and minimal pop on contact. They all got exposed in that one little eight-second clip. What was he trying? It was like... These people, the the fans
2: are streaming out, and he's trying to move to pop them, and he's not getting anyone except the female. Well, he he finally can't move, gets. <laughs> right? So, so what's his point? Get off the field. Uh, Get off the field. You're not accomplishing anything. Broner, did you see that? That uh,
4: are you referring to the Jim Nagy
1: tweet? That is Jim Nagy himself. <laughs> yes, gave a first hand
2: account can um, we assume that this guy will not be a security
1: guard for the senior bowl this year well we can assume we can we we're 100 sure that he's not going to be invited maybe. whether or not he makes it as a security guard i, I don't maybe, know
2: maybe run the hot dog stand or something like that
1: like if he were you know he you know what he'd be really good at if he were like just guarding one little blade of grass he'd be good because it's like he's chained to the the middle of the end zone he won't and it's just like he's just like screw it i'm going to hit anything i can so what what's can,
2: can you find out what his real job is is he what is he how does he get out there is he, i've often wondered how these people get hired
1: yeah i i don't know all I can say is, like, what are you doing? In all seriousness, I know we're joking about this, and he knocked the hell out well, of Well, I'm girl, not joking about the fact he hit the girl, but it is funny to watch. But look it is, but b- it's like, what do you, like, clearly you have no control of situation. So why are you even trying at this point? Like, why are you even trying to keep people off the field? And all they're doing—they're not even running around him; they're walking around him, like he's—he's he's making no effort.
2: Does the young lady have a case? I think she does.
4: No, I disagree, there, Lee. I think she's got a case. Uh, he, she got popped pretty good. Once you enter the—and uh, and I'm not even making an anti-field storming argument because I think it is part of the game. But okay. I think you got to understand that but once you Michael, enter the field why, of play. All right, but happens, why do
2: players get uh, targeted? if they do something like that and again the I LSU player cuz it happened with Alabama's player i guess it was at the Tennessee game was it last year yeah Jermaine Burt- well, Yeah, i don't think why they should they be. Always? i mean i don't think they no, should but be. i'm saying they do so why should the security guard not be held
4: accountable well i don't i don't think the players are really held accountable it's a situation that's out of control that I mean, there was a situation with an LSU player too i think you know you lose you you enter the field to play what happens happens it is what it Michael, is and i you? could
1: i could argue though that if I'm defending the security guard, he's he's simply doing his job. He's not doing it he's well. Not doing it well, He's not doing his <laughs> but, job. But Is I don't that, I don't see so he's not doing anything. My, my, I'm not saying he should have done that. I'm
4: just saying legally I don't think the girl I has think it, case. Was, She's it trespassing. was but
1: isn't it within his right to do that to someone that comes on the field? To forearm a female? Form anybody that comes well, out do the I don't see You're not he, allowed on the field. Like That's but, your job is to yeah, keep people if, from going but, out there. Okay, first of do, all, all right, let's them.
2: back up on this. First of all, if you really want to stop this, you only have one guard out there who can't move, right? You don't have like five or six or seven. You If you want to stop this, you have police or you have people out there with dogs or something like that. You don't stop a massive crowd with one guy, as you said, chained to the field. Yeah. Michael, can you move faster than that? Maybe
4: slightly. <laughs> I, I would have done it. I, I, I could have kept a couple of It's so funny people to watch
2: off. him because it's like you're trying to swat flies or something like that, and you're coming up empty-handed. And I know the college football final, they made a real
1: now, joke about this. Now, look, I know he has got, according to Jim, very, he's got zero lateral, lateral agility. But let's be fair. The girl in this has zero field vision.
4: Yeah, she didn't. S- like, I mean, she didn't scan the field at all. She like, just needed to take one step to the right. Yeah, like, she she walked thing. right
1: into that, like, like, she's got to be able to hit the hole and go. She, she can't She can't be sitting she in the up, hole too long. Did she get up and come swinging at the guy? No, she kind of fell down and looked at the guy. like The video kind of cuts off. Yeah, but she's kind of like, what the hell just happened? Because she walked right into it. I mean, she could have gotten a concussion on a hit like that. Eh, got her in the shoulder. But I'm saying, if, okay, let,
2: let's be serious if I can for a second on this because Please. it is funny. But... If you're going to try to stop the flow of a crowd, you don't put one guy out there in an end zone and hope you're going to stem the flow. You just don't. You you have to do something like, okay, we're going to send out five or six or seven. We're going to have guard dogs. We're going to do something if you really want to stop it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't think he was the only guard. He, in was. The stadium. And he was. He was the only one went, in the frame. No, in the he, frame.
2: He was the only one in the end zone that we could see. There was nobody else there. <laughs> he looked like the mall cop.
4: I mean, we've talked about this time and time again. I don't think there's really a way to prevent field stormings. The situation no. gets out of control and and it is what it is. And frankly, I don't think I think it creates more of a dangerous situation when you try to prevent it like you see in the yeah. video like just let it happen it's part of the game it is what it is and but as a fan you have to understand you're entering a football field
2: what happens
1: to you happens right
2: to you. do you think Ole Miss was kind of taken back by this they never expected this to happen
1: yeah I, I don't think there was any point going into this game yeah where they said you know what if we win we're taking the field I,
2: I, like, <laughs> there was just none I that. suspected that in the Duke game if they had held on they were going to storm the field. I, that was my feeling. It was pretty obvious. And then, of course, once Riley went down and everything, everybody was kind of dejected and kind of, you know, left, uh, knowing that they weren't going to win. But this was an, the Ole Miss thing. I mean, the money notwithstanding, I don't think Ole Miss care. Well, maybe they do care about the money. I don't know. But uh, if you're going to, if you really want to stem the flow
1: of a crowd, you got to do better than this. I'm sorry. All right, that does it for another edition of the opening kickoff for Mr. Michael Bronner and Lee Shervaney, I'm Mark Heim. We'll be back tomorrow in the studios at 6 a.m. Until then, see ya!